Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Iron List! <laughs> My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic, and I have to sit through William's bad Crypt Keeper impersonation. Hey, that's a good bad Crypt Keeper impersonation, okay? <laughs> uh, People know what I'm doing. It's, Ergo, it's a good bad Crypt uh, Keeper impersonation. It's a, it's a middling bad Crypt Keeper impersonation. I do it my way, okay? I'm the Vault Keeper. <laughs> you do it your way. There's one way to do it. John Kassir did it. <laughs> Uh, hey everybody! Also, hey, uh, uh, hang on, hang on. Uh, Tales from the Crypt, the movie it was John Cassier. That was not no, no, the original movie. The oh, the original. The Crypt right, Keeper yeah. was um, was it, was it Nigel Hawthorne? It was Gilgood, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Gilgood. Yeah, it was John Gilgood. Right. Anyway, hi everybody. <laughs> Welcome back to the Iron List. Uh, this is the podcast where once a month Whitney Seibold and I do an epic uh, list of recommendations. Uh, the topic is chosen by our patrons over at patreoncom slash critically acclaimed network and this month because it is scary tober we decided to do a bunch of horror movie options and we decided to keep it really general and was all like best werewolf movies best vampire movies and the one that won and i'm actually a little surprised but i think it's a cool pick the best ghost movies ever uh, now, when when you say ghost movies, that's actually pretty broad-reaching a topic. Yeah, they're not necessarily even all horror movies. Yeah. It's just any movie in which someone dies and their personality or life continues in some way. Mm. Uh, and I I don't I I personally don't think like defending your life isn't a ghost movie for me because they've just moved on. It's got to be them. They stuck around the mortal plane mm. to cause mischief or fall in love or something. They have to have stuck around humans, living beings, yeah. in order to be, for it to qualify for but, me uh, as a ghost movie. But when we say ghosts, especially when we're referring to ghosts in genre movies, we're typically talking about like semi-transparent apparitions of dead people. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Mm, some ghosts, I feel, don't quite qualify. Yeah, in fact, and actually there's a lot of really great ghost movies. Movies about hauntings and so forth that, for me, because of rules that, it, you know, you have to narrow it down somewhere. Yeah. You have to draw the line at something. So there's a lot of really scary movies set in haunted houses that I didn't include because they're not about the ghosts Hmm. they're about people maybe losing their mind in the house for example but the ghosts themselves are perhaps even arguably not there yeah like they might be a figment of someone's imagination or they might be an allegory for for example here's a good example and people are talking about it now um alfred hitchcock's rebecca they recently remade it I don't think that's a literal ghost story. It's a figurative ghost story. Yeah. Because ha- they're dealing with the... Haunted by a memory of a dead yeah. wife. And yeah. it's, it's certainly an overlap, and it would be an interesting movie to watch on mm. that level, but I don't consider it to be a movie about mm. a ghost. It's yeah, a movie about a memory the, that plays kind of like a ghost story. Same with Jane Eyre. You know, yeah. There's, there, well, there's a twist in Jane Eyre, and if you haven't read Jane Eyre, first of all, read Jane Eyre. Great book. Um, but uh, yeah, that that is, again, something where you're haunted by a thing. But... Uh, when it comes to ghosts in movies, it has to be a little bit more literal than that. To qualify uh, for this list, to quali- anyway. well, in, yeah, to we qualify, both seem to, be on the to same qualify page. in my mind, I'll just say that. Yeah. Like, um, is a Christmas Carol a ghost story? Well, yeah, there's yeah. ghosts in it, but 
Would I put that on a ghost movie list? Only if I want to be a little edgy about it. <laughs> yeah, you're so edgy. Well, Everyone's yeah. like, wow, that guy's tough. <laughs> Hanging <laughs> out in his leather jacket, arguing Christmas Carol's a ghost story. They talk about ghosts a lot in like the Insidious movies, but they explain that those are like demonic creatures and not necessarily like the ghosts of dead people. There are sure ghosts of dead people those, in it, though, yeah. because like Lynn Shay becomes a ghost and right. she's like, whatever, but... Then they like spend a lot of prequels trying to pretend she didn't become a ghost yet, so they didn't. So not really about Lynn Shea very much. And there's also ones where it's like, hey, Annabelle, she's not a she's not like a possessed doll who's running around killing people. She's a ghost who's attached to a doll. And I'm like, eh. and, and, and different ghosts can attach herself at any given time. Two of those movies are excellent, but I don't know if I would call them great ghost movies. That's in this weird gray area. Now, again, we talked about this in a recent episode of We've Got Mail. When we're attributing genre, um, all we're really trying to do is trying to make conversation easier. Because mm. ultimately, if there's a ghost in it, or if you think there's a ghost in it, or if it's arguably about ghosts, it's a ghost movie. We're just talking about our own parameters. Yeah, you can, we, you can choose your own. Exactly. We're not trying to like lay, the, lay down the law and say, this isn't a ghost movie, this is a ghost movie. We're just trying to put you in the mindset of where we were at. Mm. When we approach this, and again, we don't usually talk this out ahead of time. I don't know anything that's on Whitney's list. I got a couple of guesses, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just interesting that we're kind of on the same page. We both think that in order to qualify for this list, ghosts need to be literal. And yeah, I think that's right. really the key criterion here. Um, and again, it, some of these are horror movies. At least one of mine is not. Okay. Uh, so uh, why don't we get started? And again, uh, if you're new, if you haven't listened to an Iron List episode before, Whitney and I each have come up with our top ten list. Rankings are irrelevant. These are not ranked lists. These are all top-tier recommendations mm. from both of us. But so that the episode has a sense of finality, we are both saving our number one picks for last. That's right. So We had to pick a number one. We feel like we owe you that much. Mm. But we're saving that for last. And everything on this list... Doesn't matter if we mention it first or ninth or whatever, they're all tied for like 10, yeah. two through 10. Okay. Mm. Whitney, why don't you get us started? What's your mm. first pick for the uh, best ghost movies ever made? Field of Dreams. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm ah, kidding. That's a good movie. I like that movie. Yeah, but these are, I want, I want some, some scary, some Ooh. apparition-y. Um, okay. I'm going to start with one of my favorite filmmakers. So I have a kind of a twofer, if you'll allow it. That's yeah, high. Yeah. Um, it's your list. Because William Castle made two really excellent ghost movies. Yeah, he, he made The House on Haunted Hill and he made 13 Ghosts, both of which had excellent gimmicks. Uh, House on Haunted Hill is about a, a sleaze bag played by Vincent Price, who's invited a bunch of people up to a really weird looking house. And they, he says, if you stay the night in this house, which is haunted, by the way, I'll give you 10 grand. And uh, shenanigans ensue. <laughs> are they man-made shenanigans or are they actually ghosts? And you get to uh, spend a wonderful time in the film uh, choosing between the two of them. Uh, the remake is okay. Uh, I like it's, the remake. it's got a lot of like good spooky images in it, but it is just this sort of like fun house of nonsense. Well, it, it opens uh, up on like uh, it, it, in the in the remake, the guy who like invites people to the so-called haunted house, played by Jeffrey Rush. He's a theme park, like, mm. magnate. It's like Disney. Yeah. And all of his theme parks are super duper scary. And that kind of sets you up for the fact that this is a roller coaster haunted house mm. movie. It's not a subtle, yeah. creepy, make all... you question whether or not there's an afterlife. This is just going to fuck you up. Yeah. And uh, William Castle presented House on Haunted Hill in Emergo. Or maybe it's Emergo. I've never, I've heard both 
So, I always thought uh, it was a Murgo, but I could be uh, wrong. Uh, but the idea was, at one point in the movie, there's a skeleton on screen. Boy, how do I love that skeleton? <laughs> Kind of walks in a really awkward way. And uh, in the theater, a pulley system was rigged up so that a skeleton would fly above the audience. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not like a cool skeleton either. It's just a skeleton hanging from a string yeah. that would... Like, you can, yeah, you can hear the squeaking. and People used to throw things at it, yeah, try to yeah. knock it down. It was like a pinata in the theaters. I wish I could have been there on one of those right. rowdy theaters where they just knocked the skeleton down. You gotta be there the day when everyone's like, oh, I wonder what a Murgo is. Uh, I can't wait to... F- the fuck? Uh, Come on. <laughs> William. I forgot which movie it was that uh, William Castle made, but one of his films, uh, like later on in his sort of like line of gimmick films... It was like, uh, it's like, here's your shock seat. Ooh, what's the shock seat? And it turns out it was just a seatbelt. Like, <laughs> yeah. you might, you might get so scared you'll need a seatbelt to keep you in your seat. It's like, the, okay, this is this is not the so well's much of a running gimmick. a little yeah. dry, isn't it, Billy? Uh, and he also made Thirteen Ghosts, uh, which is about a, a fellow who's uh, completely destitute. He inherits a mansion, and he has to stay the night in the mansion. And if he does, he inherits the no, home. It, no, he's not. No, no, no. Because like, no, no, no. Thirteen Ghosts is he's destitute, and they have nowhere to go, so they have to live in the oh, house. They have to live he moves in, in with his house, wife yeah. and his kid, and a housekeeper comes yeah. with it. The housekeeper is Margaret Hamilton from the That's Wizard right. of Oz. Yep. And they keep making illusions like maybe she's actually a witch. It's very playful. But it's haunted by 13 ghosts. And mm. the cool gimmick of this one, what did they call it again? Illusiono. Illusiono was uh, glasses, kind of like uh, 3D glasses, but it's a black and white movie. And so what would happen is when you put on the glasses, you could see the ghosts. Well, there, it, there were two little windows. One was red and one was blue. Uh-huh. And yeah, when the screen went totally blue they said uh, you could look through the the two windows one or the other yeah. depending on whether or not you believed in ghosts ah, yes. if you look through the red filter because you don't believe in ghosts you see nothing you see you just see a still shot of a yeah. room and you hear a lot of because noises. all the ghosts are superimposed in red yeah. so it just cancels it out exactly but if you look through the blue filter you can see the red ghosts and you can see these weird headless creations sort of cavorting about. And if you're not putting on the glasses at all, they're still superimposed on the screen and it looks pretty cool. You can kind of see them. Yeah. Uh, I love 13 Ghosts. 13 Ghosts is a blast. I, I'm not and, the biggest fan of... Yeah. To, to play into the illusion of gimmick, the characters in the movie also have goggles that they can put on yeah. that let them see ghosts. Uh, I love 13 Ghosts. 13 Ghosts would very nearly made my top 10. It's definitely right. a runner-up. I love that movie. It is playful, but kind of yeah. creepy. Actually, some of the ghosts are really messed up, even yeah, the original. Yeah, yeah. The remake is fun, but it's yeah. not very good. I don't like that the remake has been relitigated as the sort of like lost classic from the 2000s, because it is not. Good. It's not. It's got cool production design, and the ghosts look cool. That's about that's it. That's kind of it. It's, yeah. That's not bad, but that's not mm-hmm. great. Uh, but I love 13 Ghosts. I find the original House on Haunted Hill pretty stodgy and not in a fun way <laughs> I, that's the one that's oh, one of those horror Vincent classics Price where I'm like so delicious he's great yeah. he is great I just find the pacing really slow yeah. and it's it, to an extent that I probably enjoyed if I was in like a theater and everyone was cackling and throwing popcorn around mm. that'd probably be really really great but just sitting at home alone on my couch I've never been able to like get through it all in one sitting oh, I'm always like I would just start falling asleep or something like that oh, or whatever it's such and a it's joy. Just, yeah. I, I, I'm happy you like yeah. it I know most people do I'm not a huge fan, but I'm totally with you on 13 Ghosts. Okay. That movie is awesome, and I, I and it plays really, really good. It plays like, um, be a good movie for kids, like to like oh, kids' yeah, slumber yeah. parties, well, whatever, because it's kind of spooky, but not super great. The special effects are really bad. Like, one of the first special effects is a fly on a string, and you can see the string. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Bad. 
Look, uh, he made, uh, William Castle made movies on a budget. Uh, he, he, uh, didn't really break through as William Castle sort of master filmmaker until House on Haunted Hill. Like that and the Tingler one were run right after the other. Yeah. And those were like sort of cemented his reputation. He had made like 40 films before that. Oh, all, all like Yeah. Mo- B-movies. Mostly like Westerns and B-movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, when he finally produced it and sold himself as this sort of like this kid's Hitchcock. Kind of, yeah. Uh, that, that's where he really solidified. And, and I then think Hitchcock House on actually Hill took was, influence from him to do Psycho. Yeah. Because like, oh, people like gimmicks? I can gimmick this fucking movie up. Remember the... the the idea with uh, the TV show Feud, where it was just going to do each season was a different oh, yeah. Hollywood feud, and they already did uh, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. I would love to see an Alfred Hitchcock William Castle feud, <laughs> like where they're competing with one another and trying cool. to sort of really innovate and, and change uh, change cinema for the better. That would be super mm-hmm. cool. All right, uh, okay. So for my number ten, uh, God, I, this was actually a really hard list for me. I got so many movies on my runners up. So even I'm still. D- I might just throw some things on here and just decide as we go. And I think I'm going to start right here. Uh, one of my favorite ghost movies, and indeed one of my favorite horror discoveries of the last five, ten years, mm-hmm. uh, is a British TV movie called Ghost Watch. Okay. Have I've you not seen Ghost Watch? I've never even heard of this. Oh my god. Okay, I love Ghost Watch. Mm-hmm. Ghost Watch. Uh, was a fake television event. Uh, the idea was, it, and it was very much in line of when, what was on British TV at the time. It was very indistinguishable from mm-hmm. it. Um, and uh, the idea is, it's Halloween. Mm-hmm. We're all going to be just hanging out in the studio, and we're going to be talking about ghosts, and we're going to be talking to people who have seen ghosts in their real life. And it's one of those documentary programs. Yeah, one of those documentary programs. But it's all live, and we have calls coming in, and uh, people sharing their ghost stories or whatever. And but the but the fun thing is, we've got people who claim to live in an actual haunted house, and we've got a camera crew over there right now, and we're just going to hang out and see what we can find. And shit starts to go down. (laughs) And at first, it's really subtle. At first, it's really, 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 really subtle. Like little things. Maybe there was someone behind that curtain. Or maybe there wasn't someone behind that curtain. Maybe they're faking this whole haunting thing. Maybe they're not. But uh, eventually, we start to realize that this family might be haunted by a ghost that they have dubbed Pipes. Because whenever there's a weird noise, the mom mm. used to say, oh, it's just the pipes. Okay. The, pi- the pipes are making that noise. Mm. So it's like, oh, it must be pipes. Pipes the ghost. That's cute. Ghost Watch goes from kind of cute, kind of like fun, kind of like retro. And then at some point, and what I love about this movie, I've seen this movie a bunch of times now. I watch it almost every Halloween. Every time I watch this movie, I can't pin down exactly when... This went from being a cute gimmick to being scary as fuck. <laughs> like, legitimately frightening in terms of just how organically it goes from kind of a fun little gimmick thing to I'm actually legitimately scared for the people in this movie and maybe myself based on what is going down. The other fun thing with Ghostwatch is um, they they threw in some little some little things in there some little easter eggs mm. before the shit goes down and it, it definitely veers in a certain direction uh you can see pipes the ghost in a couple of shots mm. like 
the camera will pan past like the living room and out through like the glass door quickly. If you look real fast, there's pipes there. And then when the camera comes back, pipes is gone. And there's one where pipes is actually in a crowd scene outside when someone's asking funny Halloween jokes Mm -hmm. or whatever. They put in, I forget the number. They put in a certain number of appearances by pipes to this day. There's a couple that have not been officially discovered. (laughs) So you can watch it. You can watch it and try to find it. It becomes a little Easter egg thing. Hmm. This movie scared the shit out of an entire generation of kids apparently people were mad mm-hmm. it got taken off of the air it wasn't available for a long time there are actual psychological studies done on kids who were fucked up by this film what did, what when what year did this come like out 91 i want to say like okay. early 90s um and uh yeah it's was recently uh, like re- it was re-released i think like 10 years ago something like that on home video um mm-hmm. it's usually pretty easy to find on uh, 1992. Sorry, it aired on BBC One, right. Halloween night, 1992, and it is a real treat. It's very, it's retro, but I think as you're going, huh, it's cute. It's so early 90s. Eventually, you're going to notice this thing get under your skin. All right. I am a huge, huge fan, and um, I've never yeah. heard of. I've, you've never mentioned this in front of me. I've never I heard of this. Movie. Okay, no, according so. to JustWatch.com, which is a great website. Um, it just tells you where things are streaming. Mm. Ghost Watch is not currently available on regular streaming anywhere, but that's not mm-hmm. going to be true for every place. That might not be true for every country, and there might be other ways to find it online. So, uh, but definitely worth seeking this thing out. I love this movie. All right, All excellent. Right. Yeah. All right, moving on. Uh, well, I'll go with a personal favorite. Okay. This movie is is a, a little bit of a train wreck. I think it for a lot of people it plays more like a demo reel uh, mm. for, for special effects than an actual movie. Uh, it was meant to be the third theatrical Tales from the Crypt film, but when Bordello of Blood tanked ah. so hard, they kind of re- reworked it into its own. I entity. know where you're going. Yeah, this this was uh, Peter Jackson's The Frighteners. I'm surprised this uh, ranks so highly with you. I like this movie a lot, but I didn't know you liked yeah, it this much. No, it just one I watched a lot when it, it came out in yeah. 1996. I was in college, and I just ended up. Uh, Throwing it on pretty frequently. Mm. Something I owned on VHS. So, uh, so yeah, it's one that I just started to really dig after a while. What I dig about The Frighteners is it's Peter Jackson sort of right on the cusp of being a blockbuster filmmaker. Mm -hmm. So he was still really interested in, like, strange things and chaos. Only now he's working with CGI rather than, you know... Puppets that vomit, or you know, bloody lawnmower scenes. And this is like Peter Jackson's uh, like first use of CGI. He was yeah. a practical effects like gore filmmaker on like Dead Alive and Bad Taste, mm-hmm. and he used like a lot of blood and guts and animatronics. And now it's like he got CGI, and now he gets to play in the toolbox. He's yeah, doing yeah. all kinds of cool stuff. So he was, yeah, was just trying everything with, with with CGI in this one. So he made CGI ghosts, and they all morph and stretch and vomit out their ears. I like the ghost that like the, flies underneath the. Uh, the wallpaper, the carpets and the wallpaper bulges oh, out. I it's mean, it's super looks, creepy. I love it. It's it's cre- It looks cheap, but it is creepy. Yeah. Uh, and, there's and it looks just, it looks bad now because visual effects yeah. have gotten better. But the idea is mm. so strong. It's uh, Danny Elfman back when he was still Danny Elfman and still doing like <laughs> s- you know scary haunted house type music. Uh, the story is absurd. Uh, it's it's Michael J. Fox plays a ghost hunter who. Uh, goes into people's homes and captures ghosts. Now it turns out the ghosts he's capturing are ghosts that are his friends yeah. that he sends to people's houses, haunt, t- tells them to haunt and he goes and cleans the houses and collects money. It's a scam. 
But ironically, well, he is an but, actual but ghost. But he can, actu- can, he actually, can actually see, see these ghosts, and he's actually talking to ghosts. It's just like ghosts usually, nine times out of ten, just hang out at a cemetery and mm. just talk to each other. They don't actually like bother people most of the time. Right. But until, in this movie... Until uh, he sees, essentially, death, this big cloaked figure with a scythe, mm. actually murdering live people. And... Ghosts and and also ghosts, yeah. yeah can, which like, is which he sliced cool. ghosts in half as well. Yeah, so and all of a sudden there's like a real what this threat thing for is everyone in the movie, even if they're dead. Yeah. Has something to do with uh, a serial killer played by Gary Busey, who was executed years ago, and the relationship he has to a local woman. And it's a uh, little unnecessarily complicated. It's, but yeah, it's, it's really it's, good. It's a big complicated plot. It's really uh, chaotic. It's not funny throughout, but it is really engaging. Like mm. your your eyes are just glued to this thing. And, uh, yeah, I feel like this was the last time uh, Peter Jackson was really kind of having fun as a filmmaker uh, before he became sort of this blockbuster filmmaker and all of his edges were sort of sanded off. I know a lot of people like those uh, Lord of the Rings movies. I still think in the Lord of the Rings movies he had his edge. I still think he was mm. making interesting choices and he was using Mm. horror storytelling elements within a blockbuster framework. Mm. I think he was like an interesting marriage of a lot of different ideas. And I think when The Hobbit came along... It just started to feel like he was giving you like a book report on yeah. the book. I, I I didn't really use, feel he, the Hobbit he, movies. He was using them as a technical exercise, is what he was doing. Yeah, I just I, you can tell his passion wasn't there. Guillermo del Toro was supposed to do that, but mm-hmm. then it was easier to get him made if he did mm-hmm. it. And you can you can just tell it's like he's just sort of like, look, I'll do them, mm-hmm. but I'm not as excited about it. And they don't feel as excitingly made. They don't feel as experimental right. as unusual. Um, I know well, people like them. I'm, I don't really. Well, and, but. and I think that's my complaint with the Lord of the Rings movies. They f- it feels like he's, you know, putting together a lot of really like slick production design, but I'm not f- sensing the the young. Uh, gross sense of humor guy mm-hmm. in in Lord of the Rings. And I understand it's this big fantasy blockbuster. There's arguably not a place for that, but it's got monsters and creatures and yeah. golems and. Uh, whatever that big lava so, monster uh, is. I bet your like, favorite part of the Hobbit movies mm. is when you see like the king of the goblins and he's got giant testicles hanging from its chin. Uh, no, that that actually just sort of grossed me Isn't out. Yeah. Gross? <laughs> I thought they would find that because it's so mm. weird. I think you thought you'd appreciate it, but no, yeah, that is just stupid. Yeah. Isn't it? No, the, the, the tone, <laughs> the, the tone is so serious. There's no anarchy in those movies, and I feel like the frighteners, the anarchy is still there, even though he's kind of moving past his his uh, young filmmaker phase. Mm. Uh, Dead Alive is still his best movie. I, I will say that forever. I think yeah. Dead Alive is Peter Jackson. Until he makes another one that beats Dead Alive and Heavenly Creatures. Uh, Heavenly Creatures is really good. two I, best movies. Heavenly, they're both really good. But uh, Frighteners is a lot of fun. And I mm. think Frighteners is one of those movies that I think got... People didn't know what to make of it when it came out. It was clearly in the vein of Ghostbusters. And I think a lot of people wrote it off as a Ghostbusters ripoff. It kind of is, but it does its own thing, too. Yeah. The, and the other a lot thing of people you, were upset that it wasn't as funny as advertised. I, that's the thing. They were trying to play it off as this, like, family movie, and it's actually really dark. Like, Jeffrey mm. Combs plays this, like, FBI agent <laughs> who's, like, trying to, like, get involved in the supernatural yeah, thing, it, and you it, find it, out he has the really grim past, and it's really t- it's really creepy, yeah. actually. He's, he's spent, like literally decades undercover and like cults and sex and stuff. And it's completely damaged him mentally. Yeah. It's really a- weird. Dammers is the character's name. I love that guy. Really, 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 really weird. But, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun and it's a good, like, it's a really good PG 13 movie. I actually don't know what rating it is, but it's, it's an like, R- it's an R rated film, yeah. but it feels like something that's like made for like high schoolers. 
like cool high schoolers who are just like mm-hmm. I'm a little bit past Ghostbusters, which you got with a little bit more edge, not too much. Okay, the Frighteners. <laughs> the Frighteners is perfect. There you there go. You That's go. what you're looking for. Yeah, well, That's the movie. <laughs> fine. Yeah. So yeah. it it has its place again. I'm not yeah. not a cinema classic, but uh, one I enjoy. Very very good. Okay, my next pick is another movie I discovered not that long ago. Uh, but it is delightful, and it is witty, and it's not a horror movie, uh, but there's a lot of anxiety in it. Uh, it is David Lean's Blythe Spirit. Oh, I haven't seen Blythe Spirit. It's yeah. delightful. 1945. Uh, that's it's uh, Rex Harrison uh, plays uh, a British man whose his wife died, and he is remarried. Mm. And there is, uh, uh, I think it's Margaret Rutherford. Uh, is it Margaret Rutherford? She was in, um, yeah, yeah, Margaret Rutherford. She was uh, in The Importance of Being Earnest. Uh, and she was also Miss Marple for many years. Uh, she comes over to the house for a big party, and she holds a seance. She's a medium. And everyone thinks it's a big larf. And Rex Harrison thinks it's a big larf. Until his dead wife comes back and just sort of hangs out in their house and makes him miserable. Because he's remarried. And she's mad at him. And it sucks. And he's miserable. And it sucks. And then his wife gets mad and jealous. And everyone's mad at everybody. Because death should be moving on. It shouldn't be constantly living with the literal ghost of who you're living with. (laughs) And it goes in a variety of directions where just people get more exasperated and make bad, bad choices. And it just becomes this little tiny little microcosm of witty hell for everyone involved where everyone's just like, ah, oh, now we're stuck together for eternity. This blows. Uh, it's got really fun, like early visual effects, really beautiful technicolor uh, uh, cinematography. Uh, and just every single actor in it is an absolute delight. Margaret Rutherford. I don't know if there's an earlier version of the like kindly old lady medium. I know a lot of people point to uh, Poltergeist mm. um, as with, uh, what's her name? Um, oh, Zelda Rubenstein? Zelda Rubenstein. Oh, yeah. uh, where it's just like, everyone's just like, oh, I didn't expect the medium to be this like nice old lady. Mm. And she's not nice. She's very serious in that movie. Well, she is, but she's also tender and she'll give you a speech about death and how beautiful everything yeah. is. and everything. But she, she takes it seriously. But my point is that she's approachable. Okay. And Margaret Rutherford, I think, is one of the original... One of those, one of those, the original, like, Elise from Insidious's. Mm-hmm. Um, she is just absolutely charming and energetic and excited to be in a place with actual ghosts. And, um, yeah, it's just a delight. It's a, it's a charming, witty, funny, kind of bittersweet film. And I don't think it gets enough attention nowadays. And yeah. I just wanted to give it a shout out. Right, great. Blind yeah. Spirit. Yeah. I think there's actually a remake coming out later this year, funnily enough. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right, moving on. Uh, let's see. What do I want to talk about next? Uh, let's go for, um, let's do the changeling. Oh, that didn't make my list. Uh, oh, it didn't. I'm, yeah. I'm surprised. There's uh, too much. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's just uh, too yeah. much. It's a great horror movie. Yeah. Uh, the changeling came out in 1980s, 1980. And, uh, it stars George C. Scott as a fellow who moves into a haunted house. Yeah. Uh, that was his first mistake. <laughs> well, he, all his, his uh, mistake is that he's also distraught because his family recently died in a car wreck. Yeah. And then he moves into a haunted house. So, yeah, that's a recipe for pleasantry. Yeah, that's probably mm. not a good idea. You should probably ask the realtor yeah. if, if your house uh, is haunted because they have to tell you. 
it's in terms of like the ghost story elements, it's really straightforward. Mm. Something horrible happened in that house. He has to investigate that house, figure out what that thing is and appease the ghost. This is a story that has been used time and time and time again in ghost story movies. Mm. Uh, This is a a common trope in human society that we think about uh, what legacy uh, evil had in the past and what we need to do in the present to uh, repair it. And, George C. Scott, uh, as he sort of discovers more and more, because he's an older guy, isn't reacting with, like, abject terror or, uh, like, he's terrified, but he's not running around screaming and, and you know, yelling his head off and going to the cops and screaming, oh, no, there's something in my house, the way so many people do in haunted house movies. No, he's, he's a he's, measured, yeah, smart he's, human being. He's, yeah. he's looking at these things. He's terrified. He doesn't understand them, but he understands something is definitely happening. And... As such, when, like, creepy things happening, he just is, it's more logical that he would walk toward them even though he's afraid. And as such, we're kind of drawn really deeply into this ghost story about a young boy who might have died in the house. Uh, And it has all kinds of wonderful visuals, long, creepy shadows and staircases. Uh, the one scene that will stand out to you when you watch the movie is the scene with the bouncing ball. Oh, where, where that's it, super like, like he, he walks into the house late at oh. night and he can see nothing, but there's like a beam of light on the staircase and he can mm-hmm. see nothing else and like everything else is in shadow. And uh, he hears a boy laughing upstairs. Okay, that's already scary. And then you yeah. hear this rhythmic sound and it's a, a bouncy ball bouncing down the stairs. Yeah. Nobody's upstairs. Where did that ball come from? He picks it up, looks at it, turns to his left and just throws it as far as he can down the hallway to his left. And then he turns back to the staircase and the ball comes bouncing down the staircase it's again. So it's really, really wonderful. Um, yeah, that's really great. In terms of, yeah, just like a good solid version of a pretty typical haunted house story. I love the changeling. Mm. It, it came into my life pretty late. I think it was in my thirties when I finally saw it, but I'm glad I did because mm. golly, it's so, so scary. Uh, you know what? Maybe if I rewatch this, it would end up on my list. Like, actually, it's not on my runner's up. Mm. It's just not on my list proper. But I do consider this one of the best haunted house movies. This yeah, is yeah, certainly sure. super duper mega creepy. Um, Storyline's pretty good. Goes in mm. some unexpected places. But uh, basically, it's atmosphere. And the thing about George C. Scott is he's such a great, dignified actor. Even when he was in dig- undignified roles. Mm. Um that um yeah it just you take it more seriously when it happens to George C Scott he's mm-hmm. like an old man who's taking it seriously not like some impressionable teenager who mm-hmm. you know is just letting their imagination run with them or are they uh he just he anchors it so well i wish he did more horror because every time yeah. he did a horror movie with the exception of firestarter which is quite bad uh it was quite good like the exorcist 3 is incredible and uh, this this movie is incredible too yeah, so. uh, this was directed by uh, Peter Medak, who's been working for a long, long time. He's done yeah. a lot of TV here recently, but he also did uh, early in his career. He did films like The Ruling Class, you know, Great these kind movie. of these uh, kind of uh, weird psychological British satire comedies. One of, and, one of uh, Peter O'Toole's best performances, and that's saying something. It's mm-hmm. really great. He did several episodes of Fairy Tale Theater, and mm-hmm. uh, he did like The Craze. And then he's sort of getting into the '90s, and he's doing stuff like species two yeah it's like, he's had, he's had a, kind of a weird varied career they're not all winners but yeah the changeling is definitely a highlight definitely all right moving on uh this is a movie that every time i see this movie i love it more like i liked it and i was really scared when i saw mm-hmm. it as a kid 
And I saw it again, and I was just like, well, this is smarter than I remember. <laughs> then I saw it again. This is smarter and more beautiful than I remember. Yeah. This is smarter, more beautiful, and scarier than I remember. And now I'm just at a point where I think it's a timeless classic. Mm. I'm speaking of Bernard Rose's 1992 film Candyman. Oh, that doesn't count. What are you talking about? It's about a ghost. <laughs> yeah, but it's 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 like a slasher monster ghost. Like Freddy Krueger doesn't count as a ghost. Well, I don't, he's well, a ghost, but he doesn't no, count. You know, because no, Freddy, I don't, I agree. Freddy Krueger doesn't count because right. he's like a demon who lives in your head. The Candyman is a ghost, but the mm. ghost is you know we talk about how ghosts are a metaphor often for memory, the history mm. of a thing living on and Candyman is a literalization and he's an actual ghost he's a person who died mm. under horrible circumstances he was an artist and I'm trying to remember because I feel like they f they they changed his backstory in the sequels a little bit a, a little like yeah. it changes it happens a little differently his or motivation like or like the like we learn in the sequel that uh like the soul of his beloved is now like moving around and like yeah. was reincarnated as other characters. Uh, I don't and... care about any of that stuff. Basically he was, uh, he was an art. He's uh, he's played by Tony Todd. He was an artist in the 19th century and he was the son of a slave and he fell in love with a white woman and he was brutally, brutally murdered by the whole town. And that story has lived on and he's become uh, a ghost of vengeance. Uh, he has a hook for a hand. They're like, took off his hand and they put a hook on it. It's really fucking horrible. And uh, now the story goes that if you look into a mirror and say Candyman is it three times? Five times. Five times. Candyman five times. I won't say it again. Uh, he, uh, he comes in and he kills you. Mm -hmm. And he's living on as a story. But the thing is, is that the first half of the movie is about Virginia Madsen, great actor. Uh, who is a uh, she's a college student who is working on studying... a thesis on urban myths. Oh, yeah. yeah. And she finds out about the Candyman and she finds him really fascinating. And she finds out that the center of the urban legend is actually really close to her. Cabrini Green, specifically. Nicely remembered. Uh, and so she goes to investigate it. And what she discovers is that, oh, the this the story of this Candyman is actually being perpetuated by a local uh, uh, gang member who has sort of adopted the identity in order to become more scary. And so she kind of debunks it. And it's only then that the actual ghost of Candyman comes to her in order to reclaim his legacy mm. because she thought it was a metaphor. And he's not. He's literally real. And you could look at this as a metaphor for storytelling, and it works beautifully. Mm. It's also a literal ghost story. Mm. It's a literal ghost story with supernatural elements. It is, uh, he's, he's a figure of great tragedy and great pain, and you understand why he does the horrible things that he does. Yeah. And we understand that ghost stories are simply our way of processing the past in a lot of ways. And I think the fact that it's easy to look at Candyman and think that's not a ghost story. Mm. It's actually one of the most fascinating things about it because in its construct, in every single way, it is a ghost story, but it's so much more profound than that in the way that it actually handles what ghosts mean to us mm. on a, on a sociological level, on, uh, on a racial level in a lot of ways um, in, in terms of our storytelling, super smart, super scary, mm. beautifully photographed, wonderfully acted. Tony Todd has never been better. Uh, I I love this movie. It's fantastic. Yeah, I love it too. I, I I've 
I watched it again recently, and it really does hold up. Uh, it's it's a little uh, badly written. Some of like the actual ground rules as to how ghosts operate kind of come and go is yeah, at the whims I'm of the writer. I'm pretty forgiving about that if the rest uh, but, of the movie's good. Well, the, the atmosphere is so thick, and the performances are so good, and the, the shocks are just come so unexpectedly yeah. that you don't really notice that until you watched it two or three times. Uh, like... Why, why is what? Why is Candyman doing this in this particular scene? Like that? Those are only questions you start asking after a while. Yeah, and I'm not going to ding yeah. a movie if it's like it, Refrigerator Logic is one thing. Refrigerator yeah, the, Logic, after you've seen it multiple times, I'm not forgivable. Yeah, totally uh, forgivable. This, Might be worth noting, but forgivable. Yeah. Uh, it was directed by Bernard Rose. Uh, the score is by Philip Glass, which oh. I think is is maybe one of the reasons it works as well as it does. This well, weird hypnotic score. That's true for most horror movies. Yeah. Is I, the I, score I, does a lot of the heavy lifting. I, I suppose so, uh, yeah. and. Uh, Philip Glass is almost overshooting it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Philip Glass is just like, okay, so uh, we're gonna we need you to, to uh, shoot this uh, target. Okay, can I use a rocket launcher? That's getting Philip Glass to be your horror movie. <laughs> that's that's what that is. <laughs> no, it's, it's more like a fuselage that just repeatedly shoots the same target over and over again. Uh, yeah, and uh, Virginia Madsen uh, famously was hypnotized in one scene in this movie. Mm. Uh, the first time she sees Candyman, she seems like really out of it and kind of sleepy because she agreed to be hypnotized and then do the scene under hypnosis. I actually did not know that. That's amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Because in, in the scene, uh, Candyman is like sort of drifting toward her in a parking structure and mm. he's sort of getting into her brain and hypnotizing her a little bit. So yeah, they hypnotized Virginia Madsen. That's neat. And then she wakes up and she's covered in blood. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, the sequels to Candyman, not good. Farewell to the Flesh is okay. It's better than three. That's what I three, will see. Three is a piece of trash. Three sucks. And there's a four that's been delayed, and we'll see well, what Candyman 4 looks like. I don't like. know if it's four, if it's a remake, or it's, if it's both. Or, it's four. It takes place. Yeah. It is good. Okay. Or, or it's one of those sequel coom remakes where it ignores some of the events of the previous sequels. You know what? You can totally ignore Candyman 2 or 3, and I do not give a shit. They're not good movies. Yeah, 2 is better than 3, but that doesn't make it good. Uh, but, but I'm looking forward to that new one. The trailer looks kind of cool. But Helen, Virginia Manson's character from the first one, is in the new oh, one. Oh, did well. I not? So, yeah. Was she in the trailer? Did I miss that? No, just I've, I've oh, okay. read the cast list. She's yeah. in the movie. Okay, not, cool. She's not played by Virginia Manson. I'm just wondering how I missed that. They recast the part, but it's the oh, same okay. character. Oh, that makes yeah. sense. Um, in any case, but the original, classic. Yeah. All right, what do we got? Uh, I have Robert Wise's The Haunting. Ah, uh, this which, is the one. Which should is, be my number one, but you know, this well, is one of the ones that didn't make it on my list because I didn't think it was the ghosts were literal enough. Yeah. But it is one of the best horror movies oh, ever but made. It could so I'll totally yeah. allow it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Robert Wise. Uh, the 1960s are often called a pretty bad year for horror in general, okay. or de- excuse me, decade for horror in general, just because uh, I think because of Psycho, a lot of the the fright films were a little bit more about killers and maniacs rather than like supernaturals or monsters like the whole mm-hmm. universal monster wave there was a revival of that and yeah. even the revival had died down so We'd, the 1960s were, were kind of done with that yeah the 1960s was was all over the place we mm-hmm. had a lot of like people trying to emulate sex of psycho with more violence mm-hmm. we had the roger corman vincent price Edgar Allan Poe trying to keep it classy movies. Cla- classy, but also at the satirical at the same time, because yeah. some of those were spoofs of themselves. Was Hammer Horror was going strong, mm. but those movies were getting weirder and weirder. Like, it's a really up and down decade. There's mm. some good stuff in it, though. And this is yeah. obviously one of the highlights, because yeah, yeah. this movie's brilliant. But yeah, uh, this has uh, Julie Harris as uh, one of... one. Of, it's four people, I think, who are... Uh, mm. 
all and again, it's another uh, scenario where people are invited to stay in a haunted house and yeah. uh, and see what happens. And it turns out Julie Harris, uh, Nell is the character's name, uh, has not just a connection to the place, but also some uh, mental issues that she's trying to overcome. And going to this house is exacerbating everything. And she starts seeing things and you're never sure even up to the end of the movie, how much of what she's seeing is actual haunting and how much of what she's seeing is, uh, is like in her head hallucination because and, she's, 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 mm. it, she was in a very like emotionally abusive household her whole life. Yeah. And this opportunity is like the first time she's ever done anything for herself. And in the book and in also the movie, the book's brilliant. Um, I've actually never seen all of the series. I hear it's really good. Mm. Um, but uh, she's extremely fragile. Yeah, and the and Julie, idea Julie, of Julie the Harris haunting performance is, is is the thing really kind of super brilliant. I mean, it's a great movie anyway. But, but yeah, Julie Harris cinematography, yeah, Julie Harris performance really is what's the yeah. rock of this thing. Because here's the thing: if the ghosts aren't real, they're real to her. Yeah, and. I totally see the way you put this on here. And one of the only reasons I let this go is because I was almost dead sure you were going to put it on your list. Because like, we would get a mention. Uh, because this this movie is absolutely brilliant. It's brilliantly filmed, brilliantly edited. Performances are amazing. But yeah, uh, Julie Harris is... This is like one of the great movie performances because it, you believe that she believes it. And yeah. she is so susceptible to suggestion at this point in her life that it becomes so absolutely mm-hmm. terrifying. And one of my favorite moments in any horror movie is i don't want to ruin it but it's one of it's like the moment just before her last moment where like doubt creeps in Mm. but it's not at a good time for it and it's so sad and frightening (laughs) and miserable and scary and beautiful in a way i love this movie this movie's great uh, also as Claire Bloom, yes, uh, giving off like so much goddamn queer energy. It's oh, yeah. it's awesome. Uh, you can you can picture a movie where uh, the two lead women just run off together. Yeah, they escape the haunted house and just run off together. It, it doesn't end uh, very happily for some characters. Yeah, uh, don't see the Yonder Bond film. Uh, it's not a good. It, film. It's not a good film. It's so they, it's they, so cheesy and not the, in a good way. It's the Scooby Doo version. It, it yeah. really is. It's literally the Scooby Doo version. They, they, Someone brought this up. They, I did. Uh, they, it was you? They, okay. They, it's it's just one CGI dog from away from being Scooby Doo because there's yeah. there's like the nerdy girl, uh-huh. which is the Velma. There's the Lily Taylor. The Lily Taylor. There's this the sort of uh, the pretty girl, and that's uh, it's Catherine Zeta Jones. That's yeah. the Daphne. Uh, you there's get the, the dopey slacker. That's the, Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson. That's the Shaggy. And, and you get the leader who's like, I'm super excited about all this ghost stuff, gang. And that's Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson yeah, that's it's literally a live action Scooby Doo movie, and it's not even the best live action Scooby Doo. And, and it, yeah, and it has <laughs> and it has the same setup. We're gonna go to this haunted house oh to God. see it, but it turns out it's like. Liam Neeson's weird experiment, but oh in God. that movie, like it's all CGI ghost madness. Yeah, and it's not even like because there's like, some when, good, some good imagery in there, but it's not. I like the, uh, not I, like great. the I like the production design. The production yeah. design is cool, but the actual CGI stuff. Jan de Bond is not has never been a subtle filmmaker, well, even at his best. He's he not was, subtle. He was a photographer first, and yeah. when he started making movies, they tended to be really effect heavy. Yeah. So he did things like Twister, and uh, mm-hmm. he did he did Speed. That was a Yonda Bond yeah. film. Yeah, and those are cool flicks. Uh, Speed in particular is really, really good. Yeah, Speed is excellent. Yeah, Twister's I, simple, but it works. Like, I, it's effective. It wouldn't have worked as well if it didn't have great special effects. Exactly. Though. But but uh, he put those together. But he yeah. did one of the Tomb Raider films. He did the second Tomb Raider, second Tomb Raider, Raider film. Life. Yeah. 
But yeah, the haunting requires a filmmaker, the story mm. requires sensitivity because you need to understand mm-hmm. how to get under people's skin and that's not what Jan de Bont specialized in. And I, he didn't even make it like a fun roller coaster ride like the remake of House on Haunted Hill. He just made this big thing that sat there and wasn't good. Yeah. And it's a damn shame because it's great material. It's been done a couple of times since and it's it's almost always good. But the original, Robert Wise... One of the best horror movies ever made, which, by extension, makes it one of the best movies ever made. <laughs> but it is actually, if we're going for ghost movies, mm-hmm. in which the ghosts are a bit more tangible, which uh-huh. is important to me, uh, there's one movie that I would put slightly above it. And ultimately, for me, this might not be the best haunted house movie, but this is the ultimate haunted house movie. This is the Haunted House movie that has everything you've ever heard was in a Haunted House movie. Mm. And it does it great. I am speaking of John Howe's uh, The Legend of Hell House. Okay. Another one I haven't might be, seen. Might yeah. be John Huff. I'm actually not sure I pronounce his name. H-O-U-G-H. Huff. Huff. John Huff. Uh, this is a movie that stars Clive Revel, Roddy McDowell, Michael Goff, mm. Peter Bowles, Pamela Franklin, Gail Hunnicutt. Great British ensemble cast and they have all been assigned to go to this house the Belasco house quote the Mount Everest of haunted houses <laughs> okay uh, where uh, there was a creepy guy named Belasco who was a giant and a millionaire and he like killed people and tortured them in his house and he's still torturing all the ghosts now as a ghost so it's just this <laughs> perpetual misery and pain, mm. and it is shot beautifully. Like I think the first shot of the film is just this incredible gothic house against the backdrop, and then a black cat walks in front of the screen, and you're just like, yes! This is the film! Roddy McDowell uh, uh, plays a guy who had like previous experience in the house, and he's absolutely terrified of it, but I think he needs the money, and so he's dragged along for this thing while this like college professor and a spirit medium... Uh, try to investigate the house. Ghosts start getting in people's brains and making them lift things. It all ends with Roddy McDowell yelling at the undead and he's overcome you. <laughs> it's so gigantic. But unlike something like Yon the Bonds, it actually understands like atmosphere and mood. It's big, it's mm. fun. You will have like a good time watching it. But it's so atmospheric, it's beautifully photographed. Uh, it's based on a book by Richard Matheson. Richard Matheson oh, wrote wow. the screenplay. Yeah. Uh, Richard Matheson is an excellent writer. Mm. He's, he's he did the Incredible Shrinking Man. He could do no wrong. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is this is if you've never seen the haunt the the Legend of Hell House. This for me is the movie by which all other haunted house movies, even better haunted house movies, are judged. Okay. Because this is you got people going into a haunted house to investigate a haunted house. Big ensemble cast of British actors. You know that like fake movie trailer Don't that Edgar Wright did for Grindhouse? <laughs> this is the movie he's doing. Yeah. If you wanted to see Don't, you don't have to wait for him to make it someday. Just watch The Legend of Hell House. It's got everything except Nick Frost as a creepy murdering man baby. Which admittedly is a big selling point, but we can't have everything, can we? That's There's a reason point. it's not my number one. It's because Nick Frost isn't a 
<laughs> Serial killer man, baby. All right, moving on. <laughs> if it had been, well, further up the list. Can we? Can we well, get like, any again, better? We're, we're, we're not ranking here. I'm just no. sort, of, sort of staggering through. Well, we the, the number one. The haunting could be my number one, frankly. Uh, but I just wanted to talk about it now. Uh, I think. Uh, what do I want to talk about next? Something a little crazy. A uh, cult movie that was sort of unearthed a couple years back. It's. Uh, uh, House from 1977. Yeah, there's two haunted house movies called House. One was from 1986. It was an American film, and that one's fine too. It's very fun. It's got a lot of fun creature design and stuff. It's, it's about a... a guy who moves into a haunted house, and there's a bunch of creatures that he kind of has to hide from his neighbors. That's like, like a big point. And like point. different doors or portals to different dimensions and mm-hmm. shit, and that gets really explored in House Two, the second story. Both of those first two House movies in the 80s. Really good. Yeah. Just fun, silly, fun horror movies. And, I, and I've seen House 3, which was uh, has all, nothing to do with the previous two. It's about a cop chasing down a serial killer played by Brian James. I've never seen that one. Well, because uh, they never released it as House 3. It's called The Horror Show. And then they come out... So there's House, House 2, The Horror Show, and House 4. <laughs> it's a little, and I've never seen House 4. Uh, but this is a different house. This was done by Nobuhiku, Nobuhiku Obayashi, who is a, a commercial director. And the story goes, he w- was making this uh, haunted house picture. And he commissioned a musician to do some music for it. And in order to figure out what he wanted in this movie, he asked his very young, I think it was his daughter, maybe it was his niece, uh, like, what scared her? What was really scary? And she had some really strange fears, as we yeah. typically do as kids. Yeah, things you uh, dreamt of in nightmares yeah, or yeah. weird things that you don't understand how the world works. You think maybe, like, a piano could cut off your fingers. Yeah, like, that like kind of, you slammed it yeah the, the idea of, like, you're playing the piano and, yeah, like, the door, the, the lid shuts and it cuts off your fingers. And that really scares you when you're five. Yes, yeah, it's a scary uh, thought. It's just not yeah. really a thing that happens. Uh, she was evidently really scared of mirrors. Looking in mirrors was just really scary to her. Um, I had weird fears too. If, if if you look on YouTube, you can find a really short documentary. It's only like seven minutes long called uh, The S from Hell, which is about the Screen Gems logo that played at the end of certain TV series in the 1960s and how that logo scared kids. Hmm. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, you can talk to a lot of people and they'll, they might reveal that they have fears of these little studio logos. There's, at like, the they end. Like these, some, some of them have like weird, creepy music and like mm-hmm. stark black and red imagery and mm-hmm. there's no explanation for them. They're just vaguely threatening and then they're gone and you mm-hmm. can't remember if they're real or not. It's like uh, pa- Paramount Television had one that uh, has been nicknamed the Closet Killer. Uh, just... <laughs> It's just this, like, it shows the uh, the elongated Paramount logo. It says Paramount Pictures, and then the little mountain is over on the right. And then the, the image will zoom right in on the mountain real fast with this, <laughs> this like, murder murderous musical sting. Dun, 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 Like, holy shit, the mountain's coming to get me. And, and a lot of kids really were really afraid of that sort of thing. Put yourself in that mindset, and then extrapolate a whole movie out of it. A midnight movie <laughs> that was made in the 1970s. It was really wild. The story of... House is uh, uh, un- unintelligible. It's uh, a, a group of school girls group, yeah, group are of... invited to go to a house in the mountains, and then eventually their favorite teacher is going to join them. Mm. The favorite teacher, you know, that plot point in a horror movie where like someone's coming to save the day, but they never will, or they'll oh. get there, and Jack Nicholson will chop them up with an axe or whatever. Um, this is, and I and I mean this. And if you know the movie, you'll know why I'm saying this. <laughs> the, this version of that plot point 
is bananas. <laughs> it's one. It's one of it's the best. It's completely versions. bananas, is, top to bottom. One hundred percent bananas. Um, yeah. What happens in that house? Oh golly, what doesn't happen in that house? Mm. Uh, you know that living piano thing that happens somewhere in this house. There's some evil cats. There's some cannibalism. Mm. There's flying severed heads. Yep, severed there's, heads that uh, may or may not also be watermelons. Yeah, people who are being sucked only part way into dimensions. Yeah, uh, <laughs> people get chopped in half and then their legs start mm. karate kicking ghosts. Like mm. what the fuck? Every damned part of this movie is insane. And yeah. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Yeah. Haozu is a treat. Haozu is unfortunate. It, it's unfortunate that we're talking about this now because Haozu is a film that is so much better if you watch it with an audience. It's fun at yeah. all. You yeah. will have fun. Do not you take this as an excuse not to watch Haozu this Halloween. But it's so much fun to discover this movie with an audience that is at least partially full of people who have no idea what they're in for. Because it is maddening it's, it's it's really bonkers it's, it's one of the worst movies yeah. you could possibly drop acid and watch like it's <laughs> easily like you i don't know what you your brain would do with why that. why is there a skeleton dancing in this scene it's not scary but it is uh nobuhiko abayashi is a director i've always meant to like watch more films of because i've only seen one other film he did and it's also nuts it's called the drifting classroom <laughs> have you seen this no. it is about a school in japan that is suddenly one day after all the kids get there sucked into a time vortex into a post-apocalyptic future uh in the middle of the desert and there's like insect monsters that are trying to kill everybody and it's they can only be sated by playing piano 24 hours a day it's so fucking weird <laughs> and that's not the weirdest thing about it i don't want to ruin this one for you because i feel like how's is a bit of a cachet People yeah. talk about it a fair well, amount. It's it's not unknown now, though it's still pretty culty. I think it was like, yeah, like in the early 2010s, somebody discovered it and re-released it, and it, it got a, a got a lot a foothold in the culture pretty quick. And now Criterion put on it, and, and I'm glad they uh, did. It's incredible. But if like if the, you if you liked Howzu, if like oh I've seen this one, this isn't a big deal. Watch the Drifting Classroom. You tell me. The Drifting it's based classroom. on a manga. It's, I understand the manga makes a little bit more sense, but the movie is a weird, baffling, yeah, yeah. amazing time. I'm so glad I saw it. One of the reasons House is so baffling is because uh, the music was written years before production was complete. Yeah. So they just had to insert the music they had. And a lot of the music is weirdly inappropriate. <laughs> Yeah, totally right. Totally like, wrong for the scene. Like, yeah, there's like there's severed heads flying around trying to bite somebody, but the music is like really slow and romantic. It doesn't <laughs> make any sense. Uh, yeah, it it'll just it it'll smack your brain with a brick of gold, and it's really really <laughs> wonderful. With a slice of lemon wrapped around. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that's the, that's the... <laughs> to, to borrow from Douglas Adams a little bit. All right, uh, my next pick. I'm gonna I'm gonna move away from the horror genre. It's a ghost movie, but it's not a horror movie. All right. This is a movie from the early 1990s. That is about a woman who loses the love of her life. He dies and he comes back as a ghost. Mm. You probably heard of it. It's my boyfriend's back. Isn't it's it? actually truly madly deeply. You oh, ruined yeah. my joke oh. <laughs> <laughs> because a lot of people know the movie ghost and I like the movie ghost. Mm. I want to make that clear. That's a very well-made movie. Oh, indeed. Parts of it became a cliche, but that's not the movie's fault. The movie actually was just so darn striking and well-crafted and smartly written that the, it the moments got drilled into people's brains and they started like sort of using them as parody yeah, because like everyone the, recognizes the them. pottery wheel. The yeah. pottery wheel is is it's a great scene. It works. It's it's cliche now, but at the time it was new and novel and fun and reinvented this song that everyone knew and made it popular again. Everyone's really good in that movie. I like that movie. Mm. 
Truly Madly Deeply is so much better, though. This was the, <laughs> this was the directorial debut of Anthony Minghella, mm. who would go... Wait, no, I think he did Mr. Wonderful first. Whatever, I'll, it's one of his first I'll look movies. It up, yeah. I, I'm gonna, I, I thought it was Anthony Minghella's first one as well. I, I think yeah. it's Anthony Minghella's first movie, but he was also did Mr. Wonderful, which is not a good film. Um, Anthony Minghella would go on... He, he, he sadly passed away too young, but he, uh, he would go on to direct the Best Picture winner, The English Patient... And also uh, the talented Mr. Ripley, which I think is might be his best work. But talented uh, Mr. Ripley is so friggin' good, so good. But uh, uh, his uh, first film was in 1978. It was called oh. A Little Like Drowning. Oh wow! How did I know? And he did that? Mr. Crazy. Wonderful was after Truly Madly Deeply. Okay, so Truly Madly Deeply is the second, but there was a big gap. Yeah. Okay, crazy. Okay, I didn't know that. Um, Anthony Minghella uh, directs this movie. Uh, it stars um, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman is a musician, uh, and he passed away. And his, I believe it's his girlfriend or his wife. I can't remember. Hold on, let me see if I can. Juliet Stevenson. Juliet Stevenson, thank mm-hmm. you. Uh, Juliet Stevenson, she's just trying to get by. And she keeps talking about how, look, I'm lonely. I'm around our apartment together all the time. I can feel him around me. I can hear him in my head, like when I'm brushing my teeth. He would be like, hey, don't forget to brush up and down. You always brush side to side. And like little things like that. And then finally, she's just so damn lonely. She comes home one day, and he's there. Mm. That's it. Just Alan Rickman, young, handsome Alan Rickman, just in your apartment. He gave up like on the heaven for you, mm. and he just is there for her. And they spend time together, and they bond, and they talk about old times. But he's only there for her, and he can't leave the apartment. And. Over the course of the film, what starts off as a beautiful, magical thing, she quickly realizes is something holding her back. Because mm-hmm. she can't stay in her apartment all the time. And he's getting annoying. He started inviting ghost friends over to watch videos. <laughs> like, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not, you know, wine and roses all the time. And indeed, as she spends more time with him and she realizes that he's gone. He's he is dead. He doesn't have ambitions anymore. He doesn't do his own thing anymore. He's there for her or he's just you know, he's dead. It's 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 sad, hmm. but she's gradually ready to have another relationship, to move on with her life. It's a really beautiful film about actually like having a ghost there to help you through your morning process mm-hmm. and literalizing the part of the morning process, not just for a person, but for a relationship. Where like this ended, and, and I've romanticized it all the time, but when it comes back, you realize, oh no, there was stuff in here that actually kind of sucked, and I'm actually happy to move on. Because I can grow, he can't. Well, what I appreciate, I haven't seen Truly Madly Deeply, but what I appreciate about it, its premise is that um, it flies in the face of a lot of uh, romantic movies like Ghost, yeah. where we're so in love that wouldn't it be great if they were just back and we'd yeah. be together forever? Death, death is completely yeah. surmountable mm. if your love was real. Yeah, the point, which is kind of condescending to everyone else who's ever died. But okay. Well, the the, the strange uh, the, the strange takeaway from that is like, well, okay, what if you have them back and then you break up? Mm-hmm. It's like, or what if they hadn't died and your relationship was kind of rocky anyway, or you discover something later on that you break up? There's I understand that this is supposed to be a romantic ideal, yeah. and the idea is they're going to get married and live together until they're 100 and then die on the same day. Yeah. Uh, it's Or, or, and this is a quote from a movie I kind of like, the story of us, 
uh, or someone dies, but then I die a month later from grief. Like those, right? Are the, yeah, those, those are, are the roles. only two ways a marriage quote works in, in this <laughs> romantic version of things. Uh, so. Yeah, the, I, I like that there's sort of this practical look. It's like, okay, go oh, good, we have him back. Oh, well, and things just sort of go stale and you break up anyway, even yeah. though he's dead. Because we can romanticize mm. these relationships because that person is, like, locked in a time capsule now. Mm. They will always be that person, and we can look on them with fondness, and it seems even rude to consider anything negative about them, but she is still living, and she actually has to move on. She's amazing. Alan Rickman... And we all know how good Alan Rickman was. Mm. I'm going to say this right now. Never better. If you love Alan Rickman, and I know a lot of people who love Alan Rickman, and you should love Alan Rickman. You you need to see this movie because it's beautiful. It's smart. It's sweet. It's actually like, I find like the English patient actually kind of like cloying in how like orchestrated its big emotional beats are Mm. this one's really natural it's so damn good and it's the better version of ghost and again for the record i really like ghost (laughs) ghost is a good movie it just Mm. didn't make my top 10 all right all right moving on i haven't seen truly madly deeply either okay interesting uh we don't have have any overlap yet do we not yet um do you have personal shopper on your list I don't, but okay. shit, I probably should. <laughs> I actually overlooked that. That's oh, a really good thing. Yeah. Personal shopper, Olivier Assayas made this with Kristen Stewart, and golly, it's a good movie. It's it's a really practical, like kind of neo-realist movie about class and wealth. Uh, Kristen Stewart plays a young woman who is a personal shopper for a famous, I think she's a model. Yeah. And uh, a personal shopper is somebody a rich person will hire to go to stores and buy things for them because they're recognized, the famous person is recognizable, they don't want to be bothered in public, so they hire people to go out and shop for them. Kristen Stewart plays uh, a personal shopper, but she is also, on the side, a medium who will go into haunted places and look for ghosts. And we see early in the film that ghosts are real. Mm-hmm. We see one. Yeah, it's, it's no, just a sort of like... no you know. deniability. Ghosts are real. We and, see uh, them. It's a thing. And so... But she she doesn't really seem like overwhelmed or impressed by this, uh, this ability she has to see ghosts. It's just kind of the sad part of her life that she's able to deal with this. It's punctuated by the fact that she had a twin brother who uh, died of a congenital heart condition that she probably also has. Yeah. So she is... She's, she's got a ticking clock. Yeah, so she feels yeah. in, her, in her... A, she, like, the ghost of her brother is following around, and also, yeah, she feels like she's uh, doomed from the start. So she's kind of sleepwalking through this weird, uh, well-moneyed but disconnected malaise. And uh, one day she gets a really cryptic text message. This is one of the few films I've seen that effectively uses modern phone tech for legit scares. There is a gag that mm. they use with a cell phone. Mm. And I'm not going to ruin it for you. It's, it's you a, a cell phone a lot. In it's the about a, a gag in the channel. <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll see. You'll know when you see it. Mm. There's a gag with her cell phone mm. that I saw this in a theater at a film festival. I, it was, I think they'd already premiered at Cannes, but it premiered to like one screening with a standing ovation and one screening where people walked out. It was really divisive. <laughs> so I was super excited to Which see Which means this. that's a film you want to see. Exactly. So I was super excited to see this movie. I didn't really know that much about it other than mm. Kristen Stewart kind of ghosts, maybe, and fashion. Like, that's mm. it. That gag fucking woke me up. I was like, I wasn't asleep. It wasn't like a boring movie, but I was just like, what the fuck? Holy shit, that's a good gag. Holy fuck. 
fuck, that's good filmmaking. 20 bucks gets you the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge. Yeah, it's uh, just yeah. one of those things where you're just like, wow, how have I not seen that in a movie before? That's such a well-done gag. It's so suspenseful and frightening. And I do love the way it concludes. Uh, Olivier Isaias, however, isn't interested in the thrill of it. Like I said, it's kind of this realist film, a lot of natural sound, a lot of just sort of wandering around, and Kristen Stewart growing this sense of uh, dissatisfaction with her job as a personal shopper. And there's a scene where she just sort of tries on a dress almost out of spite. Yeah. Um, Kristen Stewart is excellent in this movie. She's made a couple movies with with Olivier Assayas and evidently she's like, they're just simpatico. Yeah. They work really, really well together. They're really great. uh, Yeah. It came out just a couple of years ago and it, yeah, it was really striking right away. It's already in the Criterion collection. I, I really, really liked it. Uh, I'm going to go to another uh, um, mm-hmm. another sad ghost story romance <laughs> because it you turns out romances. it turns out I'm a sucker for these and right. I, I've, told, I've mentioned this before like I'm phobic of death like death itself regardless mm. of how it comes it scares me mm. and when I see a movie that is directly about death mm. dying itself or whether there's an afterlife or not it's it gets under my skin. And this is one that I really thought was going to be lighter than it was, but then I watched it and it broke my damn heart. And at the end of this movie, I cried about as hard as I've cried at any other film. Okay. 1947's The Ghost and Mrs. Muir. Ah. I love this movie so I, much. It's I, another Rex Harrison film. I haven't actually. seen this one either. <laughs> oh, wow. Weird. Okay, so this is Joseph L. Mankiewicz directed this. Um, and it stars Gene Tierney as a woman who, uh, she moves into a cottage and she's a widow. She's living on her own. She's very independent. People don't like that. She's very independent. And she finds out very quickly that there was a very salty sailor who lived in this house, built this house and, he doesn't like visitors. He doesn't like when he does people nothing are here. but sing sea shanties He's all very, day. <laughs> he just he hates having people around. And what he discovers, this ghost played by Rex Harrison, is that for the first time he's met someone who's as stubborn as he is. <laughs> He's, he's as haunted by her as she is by mm. him. She, she he's like that's how you're gonna go, right? And she's like, no, I bought this place. This is where I live now. Mm. Yeah, you're stuck with me. And he's like, ah! <laughs> and they're so annoyed at each other, and it's so damn charming. And he finds, it's, it turns out that he's here because there's like unfinished business or whatever. Mm. And he wanted his story to be told. He has a lot of great sea stories. And so he can't tell them. No one else is listening to him. So she agrees to write his book as a, like a, as like a novel. Mm. And that leads on a different path and everything. And gradually they start to fall in love. But... Damn it, he's dead. <laughs> There's only so much we can do with that. Mm. And they kind of love each other and they kind of hate each other. And she starts being romanced by another man who kind of sucks. Like, he's not awful. Mm. Like, he's 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 like Bill Pullman in Sleepless in Seattle, but like maybe a little bit more manipulative. Like, he's not like the worst person she could possibly ever end up with, but it's not right. Mm. But... There's nothing he can do. Like, he can't offer her anything. 
they can't have a life together that's meaningful. And so over the course of the film, he decides to take a step back and just haunt her quietly. <laughs> and she doesn't know that he's there and just dying inside mm. while he's also already dead. It is so sad and so beautiful and really funny. It's really, really funny, too. But it totally earns its big emotional rom-com cry moments. And the ending is really sweet. And, and, and again, mm. I'm scared of dying. The ending of this movie, as sad as it was and as much as it ripped into my soul because it's about death, it gave me a lot of hope. Hmm. Like, I actually really, really, really love this film. And it's another one where it was a big it was a big film when it came out. Um, it's my understanding. But um, it's not talked about too much anymore. And that's a damn shame. Uh, if you haven't seen The Ghost of Mrs. Muir, see it. You'll love hmm. it. It's again, it's not really a horror movie. So maybe it's not Halloween viewing, but you can watch it anytime. It's just yeah. beautiful. Moving on. I, I haven't seen it. You're, you're choosing all these movies I haven't seen, which That's is so why weird. I can't really, can't really hear Usually you speak do that. to them. Well, I know we've seen this because we've talked about it before. Um, it's uh, another Japanese film. This is Kenji, Kenji Mizoguchi's Ugetsu. Oh, okay. Uh, I love Ugetsu. You do? I love Ugetsu. Uh, Ugetsu is uh, about a potter who... Uh, against his better judgment and against the warnings of his wife, continues to make pottery at a time of uh, wartime upheaval. Mm -hmm. He lives in a small village, he makes pots, and he realizes if he keeps on making more and more pots at this particular moment in history when soldiers are storming through his village, that he'll be able to sell them. And lo, he does. He takes them to town. This mysterious woman approaches him in the square and says, take them to my haunted, I mean my house, out in the middle of the woods, which is totally not haunted, and I'm totally not a ghost. And he goes there, and of course she's a ghost. Now, it takes a while for them to say the word ghost out loud, but Mizoguchi is so good about giving her uh, this air of mystery that we intuit right away that she is. And he ends up living with this ghost and falling in love with her, but in that fable story, like storybook kind of way. Yeah. Where it's really like, detached and weird. Yeah. Like he just sort of wanders. Like he's got a wife at home. He's got, but yeah. the, re the real world vanishes and he disappears into this like Rapunzel universe where he's just living with this ghostly woman. And then he wakes up one day and he's just on the floor of the woods and the house is gone and she's vanished. And it's about his, uh, Odysseus like journey back to his wife. Uh, it's really hard to get that fable-like quality into a film because I've seen so many filmmakers try and fail, uh, try to do the literal elements from a storybook without getting that kind of childlike wonder. Even yeah. even like Disney animated films but, don't have that. But ch it's... children know that like wolves don't walk around mm. on their hind legs and talk. But you believe it anyway because fairy tales exist in this nebulous state between reality, mm. between like where reality stands and where the allegory lives. Somewhere in the middle, there's just this place we can accidentally wander off to mm. if we just get lost one day. And that's, that's something actually a really great miniseries called uh, Over the Garden Wall. Uh, mm. really nails this tone, this like fairy tale tone, okay. uh, which is, if you've never seen it, it's perfect Halloween viewing. I think it's on Hulu. It's like, I think it's like eight episodes long, but the episodes are like 10, 15 minutes. And it's creepy and wonderful and sweet and sad and brilliantly plotted. Yeah, there's, and, there's, but it gets that tone. Perfect. Yeah. That kind of, that kind of dreamlike tone where yeah. it, it doesn't make like logical mental sense, but it makes a good deal of emotional sense. Exactly. Um, 
And at the same time, it's also this weird economic parable about, you know, we're abandoning the traditional home in order to make money and the lesson, the hard lessons that this essentially a businessman has to learn. Yeah. Uh, also, it's it's a lot. Also, of, a lot of things. Good husband, and, because yeah, the whole thing exactly. is he's not really he's not really committed to his wife. He's mm-hmm. not committed to his wife as a person, as someone that he loves, or even as someone that he respects enough to care about her opinion and to actually like try to live a partnership life with her. He's trying to do his own thing, and when a ghost arrives, that becomes kind of literalized, and now he's given an opportunity to basically just leave his wife, mm-hmm. and that's an ultimately very empty shitty thing to do and it leads him to an empty shitty story mm. um it's a great movie it's a great movie oh, yeah it's it's really what it's one of the better films of the 50s yeah mizoguchi is one of the great masters uh just uh, he he wasn't uh part of the japanese new wave but he was sort of like ushering it in he like yeah. came in just before a lot of these this really interesting uh, wave of japanese films started to hit and I think something like Ugetsu was something that the Japanese New Wave directors were watching mm-hmm. and being inspired by this weird sort of dreamlike fable that feels real about like real time, uh, real life economic concerns and real relationships, but at the same time feels like one step removed from reality throughout mm-hmm. a lot of it. It's really, really beautiful. Yeah, it's a great film. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm actually really torn because we're running, we're running low. Like we got four movies left mm-hmm. each, and. There's a couple of like big classic movies mm. that neither of us have mentioned yet. Some of them might be a little too like popular for Whitney <laughs> to mention. Uh, and I'm not going to mention all of them, mm. partly because I want to make room for others and you're going to know it and I'll make my honorable mentions and we all know how good they are. Uh, but I feel as though I would be remiss if I didn't discuss. I'm actually mm. curious. This is your number one. All right. uh, the Shining. It's not my number one, but okay. I did I did mention The Shining, okay. so I'll cross that off my okay. list here. Because The Shining The Shining is a weird film in a lot of ways. Uh it had a trouble production, and frankly, Kubrick was an asshole on that film. Like, mm-hmm. like we can just talk about that. We all know like how he treated his actors, he was a dick. And that was not cool, and there are better ways to direct a movie. But the movie that we got is one of the scariest movies ever made. Without argument. No, really. it's, it's it's right uh, up there. Maybe even number one. Like, it's a really terrifying motion mm-hmm. picture. Um, if you've never seen it, uh, it is a story of the Torrance family, uh, led by Jack Nicholson uh, as a uh, recovering alcoholic writer, uh, and Shelley Duvall as his trying to keep it together for the <laughs> sake of their kid wife, who is clearly really unhappy and scared all the time. Because she, she's he's been uh, drunk and abusive, and he has hurt that kid. This is uh, the first time I saw Shelley Duvall uh, in a movie oh, wow. anywhere, and um, I mean, the movie came out in 1980. It was no, just two when it came out, but uh, she's so good as like this beleaguered, terrified person that it was actually sho- I was shocked to learn how confident and poised Shelley Duvall is in real life. Oh my god, Shelley yeah. Duvall is like, god. <laughs> like, you look at her whole career, like, people know her best from The Shining because it's this big hit gold mm. movie, but um, yeah, no, she was so delightful in everything mm. that she did. I'm such like, a huge a Shelley lot Duvall of fan. Her, she produced a lot of really yeah. interesting projects. Yeah, she, she was a huge TV mm. producer for many years. Like, watch, thir- watch Three Women, the Robert Altman film mm. sometime, to see sort of like the, the flip side of the, oh. their just, character I, in The Shining. I, I think you would just have the biggest whiplash in the world if you watched The Shining and then Robert Altman's Popeye. Just boom. 
It would be the exact opposite, but she's a delight. She was so versatile. Well, you got whiplash just watching Popeye. That's that's a bonkers movie. I love Popeye. Popeye sucks. so much. <laughs> you. Popeye is so you bad. Couldn't be more wrong about Popeye. You can love Popeye, Popeye but it sucks. It sucks. <laughs> it sucks how good it is. <laughs> Wait, what? Anyway, uh, but anyway, Shelley Duvall, everyone gives Jack Nicholson credit for this movie. Shelley Duvall, I think, is the anchor of this film. But um, they uh, he picks up a job uh, being a caretaker at an isolated mountain hotel, uh, which during the winter season is so cold and so isolated. Well, and the, the, road, the roads get snowed in, so you roads, can't make it up there. Yeah, and... so it's actually kind of a shitty hotel. Like, you're in the mountains and you can't ski. Like what, what? What? Okay, you're you're out of commission the third of the year. That's nuts. Uh, well, maybe, but maybe maybe can ski during the summer months. It's just snowier in the winter. Anyway, uh, they need someone to just look after the whole hotel, this gigantic beast of a hotel, uh, and just make sure that the boiler doesn't explode. Just make sure that the mm. lights stay on. Just make sure things go. If anything falls apart, it gets fixed. Just keep an eye on the place. It's actually not that hard a job. And it's, it's actually a kind of a contrived premise. Yeah. Where, uh, okay, you have to go up to this big creepy building and it's just you, your wife, and your son. Yeah. You're all alone. Yeah. So if you hear creepy sounds, something spooky could be happening. And again, this isn't a house, not even a big house. This is a hotel. It's a hotel. Have you ever been in like a hotel? Can you imagine if it was just you alone in a hotel mm-hmm. and you couldn't leave? That's eerie. <laughs> There's so many doors. Yeah, There's too. so many places where people have lived and probably died. Yeah, to, to make the contrivance all the stronger though it turns out it, the hotel is also the site of uh, some grisly murders yeah it turns perpetrated out one, by the one of the previous caretakers yeah it turned out one of the previous caretakers was also like isolated in that hotel over the winter and um he went a little a, a, a little mad and uh chopped up his whole family mm. yeah and uh, over the course of the film, we see that same influence starting to infect Jack Nicholson. And you, yeah. and uh, his son has psychic powers and can see ghosts. Now, I love that Kubrick really pulls back on the psychic powers. Yeah. He, they're which, in there. It's very which, which, good God, I appreciate. Yeah, because the more literal they get, the more this starts becoming like comic book superhero mm-hmm. logic. And that's that can be fine. Like, Dr. Yeah. Sleep works that way, and I like that movie. Mm-hmm. But... The original, The Shining, it's more ethereal than that, and mm. um, you know, Scatman Crothers plays a one of the one of the like concierges at the hotel, and he's also got he calls it The Shining, and um, he just tells this kid, "Hey, listen, you're really sensitive uh, to this whole Shining thing. Uh, whatever you fucking do, don't go in room two three seven. What's in room two three seven? You don't want to fucking know." And then, like, the kid has a vision of, like, an elevator, like, opening and giant, like, mm. 3,000 gallons of blood coming out. Yeah. That's funny. The blood usually comes out on the second floor. <laughs> well, it's, you know the moment. It's been satirized a lot, but it's still effective, I think, in, in Kubrick's original. What, what I appreciate about The Shining is that it does still function. Mm. Even though it's been uh, contrived and imitated, they did a sequel, they did a TV miniseries, yeah. there's a, they turned it into an action sequence in Ready Player One. God, that was weird. <laughs> what a bizarre idea. And kind of, I kind of like that sequence. I think it's actually the best part of that movie but it's weird it's, it's the best part of the movie just because uh it's bonkers because yeah spielberg paid so close attention to detail that yeah. it looks like the original movie yeah but yeah then he turned it into this weird action sequence with like elf people running around inside the movie so weird uh, it's yeah it's really bizarre uh 
But it it it's has this weird hypnotic quality that I think still gets under your skin. Sound design has a lot to do with that. I feel like the movie uh, is told from the perspective of the ghost. The camera, the yeah, way that he well, used like a Steadicam, which is early Steadicam like uh, um, adopters, and the way it just sort of floats through the hotel, hmm. like it's looking for the story, and it's we're we're not just watching these people lose their minds and turn on each other. But we're actually like waiting for it, yeah. and it's, I, it's so disturbing. If you've ever seen, I'm not. If you have a really good sound system at home, or if you've seen it on a big uh, screen, then you might notice this more. But there's a lot of really tiny, barely audible, like whisper noises mm-hmm. that exist in the hallways. And one of the times I saw it in uh, in a theater, they played it at one three three aspect ratio. There's been some controversy as to what aspect ratio it should be projected in. It was designed for both. It was like, des- doesn't yeah, really matter. Yeah, Just pick it, one. It's pick fine. one. Um, one three three works really well though because even though you can see the shadow of the helicopter at the beginning, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Um, the hallways are also square, so it has this weird kind of. Uh, symmetrical quality that really yeah. kind of draws your eye in a little bit better. And it as it dri- and as it drifts like forward down some of these hallways or there's those wonderful scenes where the steady cam follows Danny on his big wheel down the hallways, uh, you start to get the sense that it has this almost brain like quality, like these yeah. weird twisty turns. And it started to feel after a while that I was inside the brain of the hotel. Yeah. Like the hotel is this one supernatural consciousness and all of the things we're seeing in it are the hotel remembering stuff, not tempting Jack Nicholson, Mm. but essentially finding a simpatico mind that just happens to be on this consciousness wavelength. I think Jack Torrance is disappearing into the brain of this hotel. And if you think of the way your brain works, things aren't really linear. Memories come and go. You remember things like strong emotional moments before you remember yesterday. Uh, And I feel like that's sort of what's going on. He's losing himself in this abstract lump of past that lives inside this hotel, which is a really fascinating way to think about a ghost story. Yeah. Because that's what, it, what a ghost story is, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. about reliving the past. It's about living inside of a memory. And again, this isn't just like a supernatural backstory here. Mm-hmm. The idea that this is a family that is currently haunted by something dad did. Mm-hmm. Dad got drunk. Dad heard the kid. And now mama's constantly making excuses for him, thinking everything's going to be okay. He Mm. is trying to run from that problem as fast as he can. He is doing everything he can. He's blaming the alcohol for it. And the kid is just dealing with that trauma Mm. and maybe not doing a great job of it. And he's kind of shut down a lot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so this is a family that is being haunted by something in their recent past. And they're waiting for it to happen again. And if... Again, if you know people have been in the situation, or I, you know, I hope not, but if you've been in the situation yourself, waiting for the bad thing to start happening again is a horror story in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And when it actually happens, whether it's small or big, it feels just as big as The Shining. And I think, it, I think this is actually one of the things that like Stephen King doesn't like about this movie is that Kubrick isn't on Jack Torrance's side. Yeah, he sees this family as being trapped in a house with a monster who is trying not to be a monster, mm. and that is a take, and that is not Stephen King's take. Stephen King has often said that, like Jack, I think he said this mm. that Jack Torrance is like a bit more based on him because yeah. he was he had struggles with uh, alcoholism and 
Um, and I think he was a little offended by this. And uh, I can I get it. And you can see that in the TV miniseries, it's way more sympathetic to the dad's plight. And that's a different fact, take uh, on the story. I think Stephen King wrote that miniseries. He um, did. He wrote that miniseries. He's even in it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and Doctor Sleep, which is a very interesting film, is actually kind of about both. It's a, it's yeah. It tries to marry the the Kubrick film and the the miniseries, or I guess yeah. the book. But uh, yeah. But uh, but basically, uh, the I'm idea gonna... the idea is that The Shining was the story told from the perspective of the kid. The movie, The Shining, was sort of from the perspective of the kid, but the book was more from the perspective of the dad. And now that Danny has grown up, and much like his father, he has become uh, an alcoholic, alcoholic, um, he starts understanding and finding a more of a connection to his father. And so he's starting to reinterpret what what happened to him in The Shining through a more sympathetic lens, which is a really interesting take. And I find that movie really, really fascinating. And I'm really bummed I didn't find a bigger audience. So I love The Shining. The Shining is an all-timer. Doctor Sleep is a really cool film, too. Uh, uh, Doctor Sleep, I think, is a fascinating experiment. I can in, live with in, that. In trying to like uh, re- reconcile pop culture reputations of, of certain classics that don't fit. I just think it's so one layer of it that really works there's well. There's like, like some really cool like actual salient ideas, and then there's like all this monster stuff that is like, it's like oh the go those ghosts that are like living inside this consciousness of a, a hotel. It turns out they're like literal monsters that you can like sick on people. It's like that. that that's make, not that's that's, real, kind that's of, a that's, really reductive way of saying what happens in Doctor Sleep. That's exactly what happens in Doctor no, Sleep. About, it's about they, shutting, he stores them up and then sicks them on a bad okay, guy. But that's that's just <laughs> putting it in the, the most he, in the most ridiculous si- way possible. And he sicks them on a vampire who's been sucking out right. ghost juice. There's all kinds of stupid shit. in that Okay, movie. I'm not going to deny that everything you said <laughs> happens in the movie. <laughs> But I think that is the goofiest way to describe what happens in the movie, and I actually really like what happens in that movie. That is a conversation for another oh, time. As much as I like Doctor Sleep, I, it's not on this. Can list. I mention the ghost juice thermoses? The ghost they juice cur- thermoses. They store the ghost juice in thermoses. Where else are you going to keep them? <laughs> God, where else are you going to keep them, Whitney? It's, it's like it's like one quarter of good movie and three quarters of this schlock. It's, I, okay, it's first really off, fascinating. First off, I like that there's schlock in it. I do. I think the schlock makes it makes all of like the really heady stuff, you know, go down a little smoother. Like I think, I think sugar, what, but what Kubrick did was sort of like sap the schlock out I of agree. a ghost story and make something a lot more psychologically interesting. I agree. The Shining is a better mm. film. I'm not going to pretend otherwise that right. Doctor Sleep was way down from The Shining. However, I think Doctor Sleep in its own way is a fascinating right. motion picture, and I love it. But let's move on. How many do you have left? Two. I have two left. Yeah. Okay. So um, I have three. Uh, I have three. Okay. So because so we both know, have The yeah. Shining. Um, okay. Uh, oh, oh, it's so hard. This was so hard, you guys. I really, I have so many, I have so many films. <laughs> I have so many films. Uh, okay. You know what? I'm going to fucking do it. I was debating whether or not to put this on my top 10 or my runners up. All right. Okay. But I'm going to do you're it. Pulling it out of your runners up. I'm pulling right. it. Well, I was debating because actually my top 10, I started, I never do this. I started this podcast without a concrete top 10. Okay. And I was just like, there's like a few things I need to make sure I get to. My number one is my number one regardless. But I'm really just going to feel it out. Mm. Coco. (laughs) Okay. Coco is wonderful. Coco is wonderful. Coco is great. I I I was late to Coco. I missed it in theaters. Oh, I was supposed disc. to go see okay, it. Yeah. I was supposed to go see it. I missed it. Everyone told me it was really really good. I didn't end up seeing it until like two years later. Mm. Coco is the real fucking deal. Coco is like for me like neck and neck with Inside Out as like the best Pixar movie of the 2010s. Maybe one of the best ever. Mm. Uh, Coco is the story of a young boy uh, who. 
his whole family is very stuffy and they are very big on just, they, I think they make shoes. That's all they do. Mm. They make shoes. And, and music is forbidden. No music. Because one time we had a family member in this house who was into music and mm. shit went bad. So there's no music ever again. And this kid dreams of being a mariachi. This kid dreams of being a musician. He dreams of playing a guitar. And he begins to suspect that his father was actually this famous musician who is sadly no longer with us. And he wrote this incredibly popular hit song called Remember Me. And on the Day of the Dead, the day when uh, we celebrate the dead and we, uh, you know, celebrate their memory and then through our memories of them, through, uh, you know, uh, uh, through ritual, we keep them alive in our hearts and therefore keep them alive in the afterlife. He goes to the tomb of this famous singer mm. and um, like steals his guitar <laughs> and accidentally like finds himself uh, in the afterlife and he has got to track this guy down and mm. uh, basically come to terms with his family's past. Beautifully animated, top to bottom. Just mm. absolutely, the, the, the colors pop. What a wonderfully gorgeously mm. designed motion picture from in every conceivable way. Um, they they animate alebrijes, which are uh, in Mexican folklore the just colorful animal spirits. They actually animate those in three D, and there's like they're flying through the land of the dead, and it's just gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and uh, over the course of the film, he discovers the truth about what happened to his family, but he also discovers the truth about the dead, which is it really is only our memory of people that keeps them alive. Mm, that's and, their their literal currency. Yeah, and as a result, like there there are like ghosts who are returning to earth because this is their day and there are people who can't because no one remembers them mm. and that's a really terrible tragedy if you think about it think about how many people have been alive on this planet lived breathed died had children made the world a better place made the world the worst place maybe but like and now they're just gone and you'll never know their name and you'll never know they ever existed and they had an impact there's a ripple mm. but you'll never be able to put a name to that and He's in a put. He's put in a position to become part of that legacy, or to possibly be witness to it dying. And yeah. boy, is that profound and tragic. And the way this movie uses music is really brilliant. Like the the Remember Me song, which won the Academy Award for Best Original Song, as well. It should have. Mm-hmm. Um, is revisited multiple times throughout the film, and every single time they play this song, it gains deeper, different meanings, yeah, depending they, on who's singing it, how slowly it, they're singing it. It changes meaning throughout the film, which I really appreciate. It's super yeah. smart filmmaking. But it's smart because it's really playing in on the emotions of it. And I think it draws a deep connection, I think, between art, not just uh, um, as, you know, a noble endeavor mm. that this child should absolutely be allowed to pursue, Art is a form of personal expression, as indeed it is. Art as legacy, you know, what we leave behind, and how that art can be taken away from us and be transformed into something that has absolutely nothing to do with our original intent. Yeah. And how disrespectful that can be to a legacy. And it may be natural, but like to actually go back and discover the actual history of something. Not just its weird malformed ghost mm. is really beautiful, and I love the parallel that it draws between the supernatural and art itself. 
Um, I, I, there's another one where I cry my eyes out at this movie. Um, yeah. well, I, I this mean, movie's P- fantastic. Pixar has that talent. So they they, they know how to just pull, te- like, reach deep into your tear ducts with a fish hook mm-hmm. and get the tears out if they're going to kill you doing it. Uh, yeah, and Coco, it's about mourning. It's about death. It's about family and memory. So, yeah, I, I knew going in that they were going to get me. Oh, yeah. You, and they did. expect that. I mean, they're hardly mm-hmm. a Pixar movie where they don't at least mm-hmm. try. Yeah, and... Uh, what it, and I remember when it came out, they actually had uh, they had two different versions of it. You could watch it in English, which it was it was recorded mm. in English, but there's also a Spanish language version, mm. which I deeply appreciate yeah. because it's about Mexican culture. Should be that. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's so it's it's just so so rich and so wonderful. Um, I'm kind of surprised that it doesn't have quite as much clout as some other Pixar films. Mm. Uh, it, it like it, it came, it went, it made a big splash, and then it just sort of started drifting away. I think it does, but I think it's not relitigated mm. the way some of the other Pixar movies are. Yeah. Like people are just like, were the Cars movies really that bad? Okay, we can have that conversation. Was Coco brilliant? Yes. Yeah. That can sometimes end a conversation rather than continue it. <laughs> when you're just that good, sometimes it's hard to just talk about how good you are because mm. it 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 starts feeling kind of redundant. You know what's brilliant about Coco? What, this list of things? <laughs> okay, yes, all of those things. Great, we can move on to something that we can actually have an argument about, and that's what a lot of the conversation about art often is, is what can we disagree on? What kind of, you know, how can we fly in the face of popular opinion? <coughs> Excuse me. Coco is just that good. And I do know a lot of people to whom this is very dear to them, and they watch it every year, and, well, you know, so far, but they plan to and i think this one's i think this one's gonna last i think this one's gonna last a lot longer than some of the pixar movies that i don't know sold more toys or whatever Mm -hmm. i I don't care about any of that i care about the story and this one is absolutely beautiful and i love it and yeah great all right right. i'm not not gonna argue coco um I, i think it is quite good um, let's see, I have two left, and I'm going to go with A Ghost Story um, okay. from just a couple of years ago. A Ghost Story was this uh, very, very, very low budget, it's not even a horror movie, it's just a ghost movie about a couple living in this little tiny house in Texas. And uh, one morning, rather shockingly and completely unexpectedly, uh, the male of this couple, uh, played in the movie by Casey Affleck, but you don't see his face after the after this, so I think it's a a rotating bevy of actors uh, dies in, in a freak accident. He's covered with a sheet in the hospital, his dead body, and then his dead body sits up and he is a classic Scooby-Doo ghost guy in a sheet with holes in it. And the ghost wanders back to the house and just stands in it and watches his, uh, his, wife's life kind of fall apart and then reform after a while. And a ghost story takes the idea of a haunting and takes it chronologically to its logical extreme. Mm -hmm. How Mm -hmm. a ghost lives in a place, right? And it lives there until its business is done. Well, how long does that take? The ghost watches his wife's life go by. We see her start to get over it. We see her move out. But he's, he's stuck still, there. He's still in the house. Yeah. And then a new family moves in and he can kind of move stuff. He can actually haunt and that freaks them out. And he starts driving that family a little bit mad. And then they move out. And then some 
hipsters move in and they start having conversations about life and death. And you realize when you're dead and you're not and you're like what you're wait you don't know what you're waiting for, that time kind of loses meaning after a while. There's a really wonderful scene where the ghost looks out the window and sees another ghost and they have a conversation. They don't speak, but you see each other's subtitles. Yeah. It's like there was a person here. I don't know what happened to them. How long have you been there? A long time. How do you feel? Sad. Yeah. All that they have left is mourning mm. and eternity to think about it. Not even much of a memory of their previous life, just that something's not done and they begin to forget their life and stay in that one place forever and ever. And the world changes around them. Time starts to loop around after a while and you see what was going to be in that house's place after a while. And the way the film resolves is poetic and beautiful and really kind of puts a button on the way these ghost stories typically end about sort of the, the finishing that unfinished business. Uh, And it it might leave you a little bit frustrated because the, the way it's the way the information is presented to you. But I think it, is just really, really beautiful, contemplative meditation on the eternity of death in this really, really tiny, budgeted, intimate uh, domestic drama, essentially. Yeah. Um, This movie didn't make my list, Mm. nor my runners up. And the reason why Mm. uh, is because... I don't like it that much. <laughs> I uh, love it. I know I you do. It. I know you do. I know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, listen, I don't hate it. All right. I don't hate it, but... Yeah, I love this I, movie. No, no, I get it. I get why you like this movie. Um, I'm actually reminded of the difference of opinion we had over... Um, um, I'm thinking of ending things. Okay. Where Another you, movie I loved, yeah. You saw this great work of sort of profundity mm-hmm. and, and insight and... I don't know. Maybe it's where I'm at right now in my life. Maybe if I was 20 when I saw this movie, it would have hit me really, really hard. Um, I think I liked it initially when I saw it, but as I started to ruminate on it, I realized I'm just not on this movie's wavelength. Um, Mm. Yeah, I think if I was was 20, this movie might have blown my mind. But Mm. I'm watching it now, and it's like when you were talking about the plot and you said like a hipsters move in. Uh-huh. Um, I feel like they, they moved in, they made this movie and then they left. Like, this is a very, <laughs> this is a very, and, I'm, and that's not even an insult. It's just an attitude. It's just this sort of like, there's a speech that this guy gives at this hipster party. Mm. That's all about legacy. Basically. It's all about like what we try to do. We're alive. We're here. We try to make some kind of impact and maybe we do. Maybe we write a beloved song or we have, give birth to someone who becomes president or something. Maybe we have a lasting impact, but you know what? Generations later, we're going to become more of a footnote, more of an anecdote, more of an asterisk. Mm -hmm. Then books start disappearing from the universe. Then the sun goes supernova and then the universe explodes. And then really, what was the whole point, man? And I'm just like, if this was a party, I would have walked out like one minute into this monologue and just like see what people were doing like over at like the beer pong. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm not, I'm not with you. You're you're lingering on this because you mm. think it's like a beautiful, profound statement. And I think at some point in our oh. lives, mm. we come to this realization about how small we are in the grand scheme of things, and how you know really all we're trying to do is make ripples in time, and all of that stuff is there. But I find that to be like a step on the path to profundity. Mm. And I think this movie kind of stalls out there. 
And mm. as a result, I'm I'm not super with it. Uh, there's stuff I like in it, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge mm. fan. All right. I I think the film is having it both ways, though. Yeah. I think it it's letting us have those statements. But what kind of person would say those things out loud? Either you can have uh, you know a character come in who's like a literary professor. Mm-hmm. Or you can have some drunken hipster who might actually try to impress a girl by saying something that's profound, but he looks a little bit like a douche by saying it. And I think, and it, I th- but I think the movie gives him so much emphasis that it doesn't matter that they're portraying him as a douche. He's the only person who gets a speech. Yeah, like we linger on that, mm-hmm. and I think either there's one of two options: mm-hmm. either the movie thinks that's profound, and I mm-hmm. and I don't think, and I actually like David Lowry as a director, but like yeah. I I I don't think that's profound, or he's kind of just wasting our time with it because he doesn't believe it. Cause it's coming out of the, the mm. mouth of like a, a, an a-hole at a party. Well, it can be both. Look at some, look at a character like Polonius. He's a, an old man. He's a complete mm. fool. And yet he somehow manages to say some really profound things almost by accident. Yeah. But and Polonius I feel like that's is, what's going on. Polonius doesn't like, exist oh, in like one moment in time. Mm. Polonius isn't just like, he comes in from Hamlet, gives one long speech and then ducks the fuck out. We get all the context for Polonius and we don't for yeah. this guy. So I, I don't think that's quite the same. Well, th- I, I think, it's, point, I think it's all community communicated in the movie though like the context of the party where he is what he looks like uh he has a mustache just like david lowry's um (laughs) he does yeah david lowry's got a big handlebar mustache look up a picture of him at some point Uh, i like david lowry as uh, as a director as well i think he uh has that talent of slowing you down a little bit and i feel like that's what a ghost story does and uh when you're dealing with a story that is about the passage of time that's a really good way to go about it i I really really love to go story it was on my uh, best films of the year that uh, yeah. of the year list that year and uh, and, it's, a, and it stayed with me. I, I think it's a movie that when I first saw it, I really kind of appreciated the superficial intelligence of it. And again, like as I interrogated it more, it just I was less impressed with the actual intelligence of it. I think it mm. puts on a good front, and I don't think it's it's without thought, but I think it's just uh, you know it's just kind of trapped at this one. Mm place in someone's mind as they're going through these ideas i'm not as interested in that place i can appreciate that what they're going through but it wasn't interesting to me but i i think other people i think other people will like be at a different point in their lives or just look at life a little differently than i do and pick up on a lot you clearly did Mm. good i'm glad i'm glad you saw a good movie i didn't i I didn't hate it it's not bad but like i just didn't like i didn't love it there you go i I really adore to go stories i i i I encourage people to see it because if we disagree, that means there's something interesting. Right? Yeah, that's a fair point. So uh, I, I have one film remaining. Should I say it or do you get um, to go first? No, here? I think I had, I think yeah. I had two, right? I think you have two left. Uh, tell, I, oh, tell me what you got. Okay. All right. No, I have my number two. All right. So my number two is or, or your last one announced. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. It's 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 irrelevant. Um. Oh. <laughs> oh. Stop part of me wants to just be really edgy and pick Safe Haven. Oh but God, <laughs> how much fun would that be? Yeah. Um, all right. A uh, couple of classics I left off here. Um, you guys all know you need to see Ghostbusters, so I'm not going to put Ghostbusters. But I do want to talk about, once again, for the millionth time, uh, how great Poltergeist is. Because <laughs> Poltergeist is really great. Well, I saw Poltergeist at age eight. That's a bad age yeah. to see Poltergeist. Yeah, pe- Poltergeist will fuck you up. People our age all have the common experience of seeing Poltergeist at too young an age. Because Poltergeist is full of things like people peeling their face off. And really? people being like attacked and like children being pulled out of their beds by dolls. 
Cl- evil clown dolls. Yeah, and like this backyard swimming pool that we're digging up, we're swimming in it, and it's full of skeletons b- bursting forth from the mud. Um, it's, and it's rated PG. <laughs> yeah, and this is a sp- and this was a Toby Hooper directed it, but Spielberg produced it, and he was and very hands on. Kind of directed. Okay, it, yeah. here's what I know. Hmm. I've I've heard a lot of people talk about being on set at Poltergeist. I've talked to people who are like the DP yeah. or whatever. Or did I talk to the DP? I talked to somebody who worked on this movie. I've talked to people who worked on this movie. I've read interviews with people who worked on this movie. Half the people who work on this movie seem to think that Spielberg directed it. Mm. The other half say Toby Hooper directed it. Yeah. So clearly they worked together. Clearly there was back and forth. And it, it feels a lot more like a Spielberg joint. It has that kind of E.T. wonderment quality in a lot of scenes. But there's also a real nightmarish quality to it. And I think, um, mm. you know, Spielberg has a, has, a, has a creepy streak. But I think Toby Hooper was the real nightmare enthusiast. But in any case, Poltergeist, Poltergeist was a horror movie and it's not the first movie to bring ghosts into like contemporary living. I mean, you look at Blythe Spirit did that like 40 years ago, different take on a different vibe, but it's all about, yes, we're all just very proper and happy and everything's fine. And then ghosts, shit, ghosts. Hmm. Dang it. Last thing we needed. Hmm. Possible to get rid of at this time of year. Um, but, uh, yeah, Poltergeist takes place in the suburb and in the 1980s, the suburbs were being touted as this perfect place to be. Mm. Everything is idyllic. Everything looks like the universal backlot. It's morning in America. Yep. To quote Ronald Reagan. And everyone is white as fuck. Mm -hmm. And we, we run into the prototypical Reaganite family. Um, happy two and a half kids. Reading, reading, I think they're reading Reagan's biography in one scene. Yeah, yeah. while they're smoking pot. Which is a little odd, but... Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they're just... So, they, they, they were around in the 60s, but now they're settled in. And everything's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Everything's cool. Yeah. Everything's great. And then the ghosts start coming on. And at first, they think ghosts are neat. Because, you know, they don't really have strong opinions about this. And they don't really have a deep religious connection to anything. They're very mm-hmm. secular. Yeah. So they just think it's cool that things are moving around the house. How cool is that? They figure, yeah. Um, the mom, who's played by uh, Joe Beth Williams, uh, figures out if she puts a chair in one spot, it slides slides unassisted across the floor to another spot. But it's the same spot every time, so she's marked it on the floor. Yeah, and it's just she's putting fun, like her daughter know. there to slide her on, like a little like a little ride. This is really neat, and she shows it as this experiment. Like mm. it, it's about how. Um, this like Reagan era idyllic 1950s recapturing because it was a really conservative time in America was like there was still evil like magical evil in mm-hmm. it but we and were, we were we were so distracted that we didn't really care like oh I just like this new house I don't care that people died and, here or whatever and where does the, <laughs> and where does the ghost come out of the television set yeah and yeah. indeed the little girl gets sucked into the television set and this is how Poltergeist solves and I've mentioned this before but it's yeah. so brilliant. This is how Poltergeist solves the most difficult problem in any haunted house movie. Why are you staying in this haunted house? (laughs) Why don't you go away? And a lot of haunted house movies like trap people in the house Mm. or there's a wager, like you win a million dollars if you stay. But if your life is actually threatened by the supernatural, you would fucking go. Mm. Poltergeist, they have to stay because their daughter is missing in the house and they can hear her talk Mm. and like they know she's in there and they're not going to abandon her. But it starts really fraying at them. And then all of a sudden, this suburban house that was their castle has become their haunted castle. And they're all starting to get wet, wearied and weathered. 
and tired all the mm. time and they start giving up on things and uh eventually they bring in supernatural investigators and the supernatural investigators in this movie are so fun because they're just like one time we had a camera on a toy in a kid's room and over the course of a day and you can watch this on time lapse photography it moved like a foot <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> incredible and greg dean ellison's just like oh interesting then he opens a door and there's fucking things flying around everywhere and it's just like interesting <laughs> so damn funny but this is a movie about how the superficial uh, uh, success of the American family, the nuclear family, is just a mask yeah. on which we hide all of the, horror sh- the horrible shit that we've done and are continuing to do throughout the world and throughout society. And indeed, it turns out that the reason this place is haunted is because capitalism fucking sucks and doesn't mm. give a shit about people or anything. And it's scary as fuck. Performances are brilliant. Special mm-hmm. effects are incredible. The music is amazing. Everything about this pretty much works, except for one thing. And if it wasn't for this one thing, that it people, might be my number one. That people always bring up. So it's a common, commonly discussed. If, yeah. if, if you're going to talk about what I think. I, well, like. I don't know. But like, mm-hmm. so like I mentioned that like it explains why they're staying in the house. Mm. Okay, great. They, towards the end of the movie, they've resolved their problems. They can go. They decide to spend one more night. What the fuck is the matter with you? Get a motel room for fuck's sake. Send for your things. I've lived my entire life. I have never sent for my things. I would look for any excuse to say, I will send for my things. And this was your perfect excuse, Poltergeist. And instead they decided to spend one more night. And of course things get worse. And it's scary, but it's also like this movie was operating on such a smart level. Everyone made the right choices Everyone, you know, or at least understandable choices, and it worked out beautifully. And then just this one choice where just like, you did that for the, you did that so we had a bigger climax. That's why you did that. That's the Uh, one thing. It's the one little structural issue that just gets me every time. To be fair, it's a big climax. Oh, it's so fucking great. It's huge and scary. Um, It's great. But like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a noteworthy flaw. I saw it as a kid. It scared the dickens out of me. I saw it as a teen and it still scared me. Um, when I revisited it as an adult, I found like the Spielbergian elements, like sort of the wonderment. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like a, some special effects sequences and the, the, the way Spielberg loves to hold on glittery things. So you can kind of feel that childlike wonder are actually the weakest parts of it. I feel that uh, Toby Hooper was the one who was trying to push poltergeist in a much more chilling and nightmarish direction. I feel like Spielberg was coming in and trying to make something that was a lot like Mm E.T. What would happen if the extraordinary invaded the suburbs? Whereas Toby Hooper was trying to say, what if evil was already in the suburbs? And I feel like there's two tones that are a little clashing a little bit. in Poltergeist. I I, kind of like that clash because I think because the movie is genuinely convinced of its its Spielbergian wonder, pulling the mask off and revealing like the festering maggots within yeah. is a bit more of a profound and jarring shift. Whereas if it was only Toby Hooper's perspective, it might be more like the shining and it might be more like just bitter and cynical throughout mm. that could also have worked. Yeah. But I like the version that we got. Yeah. And and I, it definitely assured that it'll get under your skin when you're a kid. If you oh, watch, yeah. if you watch poltergeist when you're like 10 years old, 
first of all, I don't recommend it. That's actually really terrifying. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's because the, of the way Spielberg makes movies, it's incredibly palatable, even though there's a lot of terrifying stuff. It's in like it. funny stuff with the TV remote control, which kids probably won't understand today. <laughs> this whole thing yeah. about how like these people buy the same TV, but their like walls are opposite each other. So their remote controls affect each other's control TV. each other's television. And, like one person is yeah. trying to watch a football game. The other people are trying to watch cartoons with their kids and they get like start dueling. Mm-hmm. It's very, very funny. Boy, are you going to have to explain that to a kid? Because that's not a thing that happens now. It's silly. Anyway, uh, so we're at our number ones. All right. This this is my number one. Okay. And I'm very this curious is, yeah, this, this is number one. Uh, from uh, a really prolific director who did films like Buying Food and Health, Your Posture, and... <laughs> <laughs> and why study home economics? And I came very close to picking. What this about one. juvenile delinquency? Um, yeah, why not try it? There was a director named Herc Harvey who spent most of his career making classroom movies in the fifties—the most boring possible shit you could possibly see. It's so dull and so square, and the advice they give in it is so impractical that they're regularly featured on Mystery Science Theater Three Thousand. I probably wouldn't have seen a lot of Herc Harvey shorts if it weren't for Mystery Science Theater Three Thousand. Herc Harvey made one feature film, one, fi- one scripted feature film in his entire career. And then after he made this, he went on to do more classroom movies. He did Shake Hands with Danger in the 80s. Uh, but he did do one feature film in the early 60s called Carnival of Souls. And it's w- one of the scariest movies ever made. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most atmospheric films ever made. It's one of the most psychologically real films ever made. And it makes maybe, you wonder, who's the real Herc Harvey? Maybe Herc Harvey, when he was filming people brushing their teeth and hiring some narrator to say, when you clean behind your teeth, your teeth are clean. Uh, <laughs> maybe he was seeing something in the human soul mm. that we weren't privy to. Why study economics? Because there is emptiness inside of you that needs filling. <laughs> I don't know. I've, uh, heard it, I've heard it posited the other way mm. that perhaps Carnival of Souls is the is only the classic. Harvey, yeah. No, 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 no. That it's like Carnival of Souls may be the only classic movie made by accident. Uh, yeah, like, it's entirely because, possible because there was this was a time in like the mid was the sixties, right? This is a time in which this movie came out in yeah. which uh, independent horror movies you could make them for nothing, mm. and they could you know play at drive-ins or, or cheap theaters or whatever, and you could make your money back. It's you could actually like that's how Night of the Living Dead got made. We're gonna make a cheap horror movie and hope for the best. Turns out they made one of the best horror movies mm. ever made. Um, like Night of the Living Dead, Carnival of Souls lapsed into the public domain. Yeah, it's so true, Her- actually. Herc Harvey did not make a lot of money from this movie. Well, I mean, it wasn't a big deal when it came out. But yeah, this is this is a movie that was created, hey, let's make a horror movie and let's make some money. And I don't know if Herc Harvey or the people behind it, I don't know this, I'd be curious, uh, said to themselves, we're going to take this opportunity to make the, everything we've ever wanted in a film. Or if they're just like, I've got this idea about someone who gets in a car accident and then they start seeing creepy hmm. things. That's, yeah, that's not even a great idea, really. It's not even it's not even like high concept or anything. It seems kind of lo-fi, and there's probably like we've all seen like, or maybe not all of us, but like if you've done a lot of research into like B movies and schlock movies of the mid-century, you, you'll see a lot of movies that are basically just a vague concept, and they meander, and then they're mm-hmm. done. I dare you to watch the Beast of Yucca Flats. <laughs> I fucking dare you to watch the Beast yeah. of Yucca Flats all by your lonesome. No commentary tracks, mm-hmm. no witticisms, no nothing. Watch that shit. 
I've Good found, luck. I saw somebody come up with a mock uh, Eclipse series from the Criterion Collection <laughs> for Coleman Francis. Oh, God. <laughs> it's like the oh. like c- cigarettes and skydivers, the films of Coleman Francis. So this could have been a movie they were just they just tried to throw out there, and yet everything about it works. So mm. who knows? Maybe Kirk Harvey was a secret genius and yeah. only had one chance to shine because this is... And, and the reason I didn't put this on my list is because... I don't know. Like I, I kind of didn't want to ruin it by putting on a ghost movie list because it's kind of built around it's the idea. A, of like, it's got a lot of ghosts in it. I guess it's got a lot of ghosts in it because, like, again, mm. the plot is this: there's a church organist. Mm. She's in a car accident. Afterwards, she, she starts off, seeing a lot of ghosts. She drives off a bridge. She walks out of the lake, completely traumatized, and then starts seeing ghosts. Yeah, and that's kind mm. of it. Basically, mm. she's traumatized. She starts seeing the supernatural. She's played by Candace Hilligoss, who is known. For this. <laughs> Pretty much everyone in this movie is known for this movie. Mm. Um, but I think Rick Harvey's matter-of-fact approach to filmmaking mm. gave this film, like all of its supernatural elements, a reality that is... Gro- well, it's... it's like, it, it, they're, they're, he's not like trying to push him down your throat. Like, look at all the cool shit we got! It's there. And there's mm. something about it that's so naturalistically frightening yeah there's there's a, a few wonderful scenes that he does like tricks with reflections and stuff there's a scene where candace hillegas is driving and we see a reflection of a ghost like in her car window from inside yeah and like it's like floating outside her window uh and there's this wonderful location oh, yeah. I, I don't know where it is i'd have to look it up but it is an abandoned carnival with abandoned rides out at the end of a pier, and it looks like it's submerged half of the year. It's like in this big mm-hmm. mossy, sandy, beachy area. And it, it looks like it looks like those documentaries about what will the Earth look like yeah, after yeah. humans are gone. But here's the thing: that's not a set. Herc Harvey couldn't afford a set. He shot this film for thirty three grand. Yeah, he uh, found that shit. That that's a real place somewhere. He's like, well, that looks like a place ghosts live. Well, uh huh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he went out there. He shot it. He asked the ghosts' permission and shot the real <laughs> ghosts. Maybe, maybe no, it's, yeah. yeah it just, so I think what he's doing is he's finding the reality of just a scary place and letting his mind bring it to its logical conclusion in the real world. Of course there's monsters chasing me. Look at that place. Listen to this eerie music. Mm. Look at feel this trauma. Look at her fear. Candace Elligas is great in this movie. Yeah, she is. Everything about this movie is great. Mm. It feels like a Twilight Zone movie or Twilight Zone episode that mm. like got out of hand, but you're glad it did. Yeah, because sometimes yeah. you see like a movie. It's, this feels like it would Those be better in, like a half hour. It, yeah. It'd feel like it'd be better if this was a half hour, but like it's so it's strong. It's still only and like punchy. 88 minutes or something. It's yeah, really short. It's very very quick. But yeah, this movie is one of those films. Again, it fell into public domain, and it just was one of those movies that would just air on TV. Mm. And it's one of those movies everyone's just like. Did anyone ever notice that this movie is actually really good? Like, I know it's airing at midnight on Channel 9, uh-huh. but it's also really good. Am I crazy here? Am I? Is anyone else seeing this? Yeah, and it like, turns out, actually, we were all seeing this. This movie well, is genuinely haunting. And, and it's like Night of the Living Dead. That's a great movie. Yeah. That's a legitimately great movie. Well, that and, one was uh, recognized, I think, in its time. And yeah. I think this one took time to find well, its proper appeal but, and yeah, but, appraisal. But speaking, because it's in the public domain, yeah, any... Anybody who could dub a DVD would stick it in an envelope and sell it at 7-Eleven. It's yeah. like, oh, well, if I see it everywhere, clearly it's this cheap nothing movie. No, yeah. wait, this one's actually really good. Yeah. 
No, it's really yeah, good. You, you can find it on YouTube these days because it's in public domain. Any, yeah. just multiple versions of it. Yeah, it's 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 the, the exact opposite of Ghost Watch. Like you could probably I mean, you could. It's amazing you're not watching it now. Like it's so easy to get. You can just get anywhere. And uh, uh, and another thing about it is uh, you said she's a church organist. So there's this weird churchly quality, but she's also an atheist. Yeah, like she even says so to some of the priests. It's like, oh, I don't believe in God, but I'll play your organ for you. So it gives uh, that sort of like grounding it in reality. And, but it has this weird kind of liturgical uh, atmosphere to it because the entire score is her organ music. Yeah. So yeah, it's like she's drifting in and out of something vaguely supernatural or not, and it's she's not not really sure what's going on. Uh, well, uh, it's pl- a- please see it. Yeah. Uh, it's don't don't uh, mistake its ubiquity for cheapness. Yeah, I only didn't put it on mine because I was thinking my. It's been a while since I've seen it, and I was trying uh-huh. to remember like. Is it clear that they're ghosts, or is it more like metaphysical? Is, is it more like metaphorical, or maybe she's just experiencing trauma? And I didn't want to like tell you whether or not there were ghosts because it's pretty clear at the beginning. So yeah, um, it's absolutely brilliant. You should totally see it. All right, my number one. My number one is a film that is not about people discovering ghosts. What a cliche! This is a story about what it is to be a ghost. And I know that's what a ghost story was about, but Mm. I feel like that's like, you know, again, maybe not the most like complete version of it. And Mm. I feel like there's no more complete film that gives you the true sense of what it is like to die and to live on and to encounter a new realm of being and also really enjoy the songs of Harry Belafonte. <laughs> than Tim Burton's Beetlejuice, mm. which is easily the cleverest screenplay he ever he ever got his hands on. Mm. Like seriously, the most imaginative. It's about, it's about the ghost with the most. <laughs> <laughs> That's only a small part of it. Um, Beetlejuice. If you've never seen it, I'm a little surprised, but okay, that's great. You have an awesome movie mm. coming ahead of you. You, prob- um, you probably have. It's it's downright overexposed at this it's point. It's probably overexposed, but, uh, but I think overexposure sometimes blinds us to like how amazing something really is because we just get used to it being amazing. Yeah. And every time I watch Beetlejuice, I am taken with every single aspect of this production because this is a movie that has a really bonkers concept. <laughs> like it's a really weird concept. And a really weird execution. And a really weird cast. And really weird makeup effects. And really weird music on top of that. I don't just mean all weird together. They're all weird in different ways. (laughs) This movie shouldn't work. And instead, I think it's one of the best... It came during that time in the 1980s when uh, strange filmmakers could make it into the the mainstream. Yeah. People like Tim Burton. Like, through their strangeness. Like, their strangeness could be the appeal. Yeah. Um, And yet, Beetlejuice is... A bizarre motion picture. Uh, Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin star as a small town uh, young couple. They're very happy and content. They love their little home. They love not, you know, engaging with anybody. All they care about is just themselves. Mm. And, and not in a selfish way. They're just content in their little bubble. Yeah. And it's Connecticut, if I recall. I think it's Connecticut. Yeah. Everything's in Connecticut. Um, but, uh, and then. Uh, Sheer dumb luck, they end up dying in a car accident, and then they end up back in their house. But they don't remember how they got back to the house. They don't remember how they got back to their house. And Mm. they find two things. One, if they leave the house, they're on the planet Saturn, where stop-motion animation, giant striped worms try to eat them. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) And there's one difference in their house. It has a new book in it. 
The Handbook for the Recently Diseased. Deceased. Deceased. <laughs> Stoked from the film. I don't, I don't think we survived that crash. Yeah. There, it turns out when you die, they just dump you into one geographic location and that's where you're stuck. One of the great jokes is about this. It's when Juno, their caseworker, says, you should be glad you didn't die in Italy. <laughs> you wouldn't die in there for forever. It's really packed. Like, it's great. Um, but uh, uh, they, uh, uh, and now they're just, and here's the deal. No one explains anything to them. They just give them a set of instructions and they read like stereo instructions. So like, you're not even reading them all and processing it. It's really dry material. And they're just sort of just hanging out at their house. And then wouldn't you know it, Yuppies oh, move in. Yuppies. The <laughs> ultimate yuppies. Played by Catherine O'Hara, who is still playing the ultimate yuppies in Schitt's Creek. And, like, their goth daughter, Winona Ryder. Before goth was really codified as a thing. Yeah, like, The Cure was out there, but mm. as, like, a thing that, there, like... There was, there was Cure, there was Bauhaus, there was Crawford, yeah. and there, there was goth, but it wasn't at all recognized by anybody. I feel like it was, like, for older teens or for 20-somethings, and mm. I feel like Lydia Dietz brought it into, like, the junior high. You know, like all of a sudden elementary schoolers are just like, I want to dress like that. That's awesome. I want to I want to talk about death all the time. That's going to be cool. I too am strange and unusual. <laughs> I am <Yeah>. desperately alone. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, yeah, and so it turns out that this goth kid can actually see the ghosts and they conspire to get rid of her parents and get him out of the house. And the thing is that these ghosts suck at scaring people. They don't know how to do it. Because they're, they're, they're kind, cleaver-like yeah. sitcom people. And at this point, we meet the title character, Beetlejuice, played by Michael Keaton in full manic mode. And he is a reverse bio-exorcist. And his whole thing... A, a, not a reverse exorcist. He's a bio-exorcist. He's a bio-exorcist. Right. They call him yeah. reverse exorcist. But he's a bio-exorcist. He'll get rid of the humans for you. Not the ghosts, the humans. And he will scare the living shit out of them. And it's basically, they end up unleashing this malevolent influence onto this house and they end up realizing that they actually have a connection. Anyway, all that's fine. But like, it's the bureaucracy of the ghosts that is so beautiful. I appreciate that it does see the afterlife mm -hmm. as an office. That just this yeah. massive, complicated incredibly boring bureaucracy. Yeah. And there's a way to direct this. Like if you could imagine someone like Soderbergh directing Beetlejuice. Yeah. First of all, what a weird thought now. <laughs> it's like hard to, hard to imagine anybody other than Tim Burton doing something like this, but the afterlife would have been imagined as white yeah. beyond tubing. An office building. Yeah, just all yeah. putty colored paint on the walls and everybody's just really bored. Yeah. Uh, Tim Burton just goes balls to the wall with production design. It's green gels and you know, weird Everyone looks the way that. they looked when they died and, and most people in the movie died horribly so it gives you a lot of opportunity all, for amazing makeup effects. They're all mutilated and stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's said uh, that uh, if, if you commit suicide mm -hmm. it, according to the rules of this universe you're one of the office workers. Oh, yeah. which you is have, like you have off, to do public which service, is, which is yeah. like the the worst possible fate. So. It's a weird joke because it's well, first off, it's very very dark, obviously, yeah. and I don't like making light of of people mm. killing themselves. But it works within the narrative in a weird way because usually in a joke, there's a setup mm. and a payoff. You introduce the idea of this, and then you see it happen, and that's the payoff. Beetlejuice works in reverse, so that you only get the joke the second time you watch it, mm. where they talk. Ha they have like someone mention this obliquely because uh -huh. they're working like in like the DMV of the afterlife and they cleared that this is, you know, mm. I've known then this what I know now, thing, I yeah. wouldn't have done what I did. 
And then only much later in the movie, in a totally different context, does someone mention that. Like, a little bit more explicit. Yeah, and it's humans who don't actually know that they're speaking the truth. Mm -hmm. So, like, you don't get it. It's like, it's so cleverly written that it actually warrants multiple viewings to pick up on all the little jokes and all the little details that don't come in. The use of Harry Belafonte in this movie is so bizarre and so weirdly perfect. Well... It's worth remembering, and this this is only because I lived through 1988, mm-hmm. and I was the right age to remember this, but there was this weird Belafonte boom, yeah. because uh, a Greatest Hits record was reissued, I think, the year before, in, like, 87. Yeah. And that one was, for a little while, it became, like, suburban standard issue yeah. for, like, white parents exactly. to pick up this Harry Belafonte record, so it became a big it's, part of the culture. It's actually the coolest music made, ever, yeah. but it was it was adopted suddenly by squares. But yeah, by a lot of suburban squares so it kind of would make sense that these the characters the Maitlands would be listening to that record now Tim Burton I'm not sure how much he pays attention to popular culture if at all like beyond the stuff he watched as a kid like Godzilla movies and stuff Uh, so uh, the only like he he objected to the use of Prince in Batman because he was trying to make something a bit more timeless. Yeah, he wanted just trying to make something yeah. yeah kind of timeless. But of course, he ended up agreeing to it because he's working for this gigantic company. Yeah, but with but I think, he jumped into it. Well, I th- I think that I'm not sure if that was part of the script or if a, a, a producer recommended that to him. But it seems like something that he wouldn't have brought to this. Movie. I think I think he did something really wonderful with it because I think it actually fits within the narrative. Uh, and again, Harry Belafonte had his own thing going. Harry mm-hmm. Belafonte is a brilliant musician, actor, performer, activist. Everything about him is cool as far as I know. Um, but how he is adopted, his music is adopted in mm-hmm. Beetlejuice, is is a bizarre, happy counterpoint to imagery that should be shocking and horrifying. And indeed, the moment in which the Maitlands actually decide we're going to do everything we possibly can to scare the shit out of these people mm. ends up becoming a Harry Belafonte musical number. And it's surreal and weird. And the ending is actually weirdly shocking, <laughs> but up until then, it's just like, all we got is that we're kind of neat and fun. Mm. <laughs> like that's all we got really. And the malevolence of Beetlejuice is, I think almost heart. I think it's, you can actually miss it. How just absolutely wicked and terrible he is because Michael Keaton is so damn funny in it, mm. but he's the devil. Yeah, like he's a horrible creature. So he's he's very specific. Like he's named Beetlejuice, which you know, if, if you look up uh, mythology, mm-hmm. is is like a demonic, pre- like ancient presence, mm. right? Uh, but and also, by the way, think of the daring it took to release a not inexpensive studio film, mm. not Beetlejuice B E T E L G E U. No, 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 no. The mm. word beetle and the drink juice. That was a hit film. Beetlejuice. Boy, did they have faith in Tim Burton. (laughs) Boy, did they have faith that this weird-ass movie would work. And you know what? This weird-ass movie works. Mm. It's funny. It's kind of scary sometimes. It's imaginative. It thinks out its world, but it doesn't just present it dryly through boring exposition. Like, you actually, like, have to, like, pick it up as you go along. The rules are fascinating in it. The visual effects are stunning in it. Mm. And it's Tim Burton at this weird point where he had all that wild imagination, but he still thought it was funny. And eventually I think he started taking himself more seriously than he needed to. Mm. But this is the fun stuff. And I actually think this is the best movie about ghosts because it's ghosts are scary. Ghosts are funny. Ghosts are sad. Ghosts can be happy. 
ghosts are everything. And ghosts are kind of boring. <laughs> that too. It's also just sitting in a waiting room in, in purgatory. Um, I love this movie. It's a great movie. It holds up really good. I like it. Villages. I, I, I like it too. I've, I watched it a bunch. It was like in regular rotation in my house, along yeah. with most of Tim Burton's movies, to be honest. All right. Um, yeah, I really like Beetlejuice. That was on my runner's up. Um, it, it all like even though there is a, a scene where the Maitlands like dress like with like traditional ghosts with you know the sheets and the holes. Even yeah. though the sheets are patterned, so it's kind of absurd. Have we stooped to this? Sheets. Think of them as death shrouds. Moan louder. Okay. <laughs> oh, uh, we're ghosts. <laughs> so cute. Like, what do you look like under there? Are you all gross under there? No, you're not gross. <laughs> She's upset they're not gross. Yes, I've seen the movie a lot. It's a great uh, yeah, it's, it, it is really great. Uh, it almost doesn't feel like a ghost movie. It's so stylized, yeah. even though it's very explicitly about Again, it's, it's, just, it's just easy to overlook it in this conversation, yeah. I think. And maybe, or even if you don't overlook it, yeah. I think it's easy to forget just how genuinely great it is because we're so focused on the ghost movies that are scary mm. or maybe the ghost movies that are really pensive that this fun one is kind of perfect. All right. And so I just wanted to give it the credit I think it deserves. All right. Anyway, let's talk about some uh, runners-up before yeah, we move I, on. I wrote down a few others. Uh, I, Poltergeist and Beetlejuice were on my list. Mm. Uh, I was very fond of a movie from the 90s called Stir of Echoes. Yeah. Uh, which movie. is uh, about a, a working-class guy played by Kevin Bacon who's hypnotized at a party just for fun. And once he's hypnotized, he can start to see ghosts and starts to get a sense as to what they want and how that actually reaches out to his community in this really intimate sort of way. It's yeah. actually a really great film about encapsulating that kind of community. You know, this little neighborhood where everybody's known each other for a couple generations and they're involved with what their kids are doing and how a single stain from a generation ago can affect the present. If we were doing a top um, 20, I definitely would have put that yeah, on. Yeah, I really, really, like, really like Stir of Echoes. I really like Paranorman. Speaking of yeah. ghost, fun ghost movies for weird little kids. That's on my runner's yeah, up as Par well. Paranorman uh, from Laika. It's a stop motion animated film about a little kid who can see ghosts and how uh, Halloween is coming up and there is a vengeful spirit that has something, it takes place in Salem, Massachusetts. So it has something to do with the Salem witch trials and you know, he has to sort of, this shy kid has to undercover the secret of what, what happened. Uh, and I really liked The Devil's Backbone, mm. the Guillermo del Toro film. I think that's yeah. might be his strongest movie. Like, maybe not his best, but I think it's his best thought out yeah. in terms of the kind of tone it's trying to strike, the kind of story it's trying to tell, and most importantly, the kind of politic it's trying to explore. I, I admire it a lot. It's yeah. not it, have, on, on multiple watches, it's not up there for me but mm -hmm. like it's it's in his top five it's yeah. really great yeah, um, I, I think uh guillermo del toro's spanish language films are all pretty excellent yeah his his english language films are hit or miss um but yeah between uh chronos the devil's backbone and pan's labyrinth you get this really good sense of uh like spanish politics yeah that he was really very interested in Right. And and I think the Devil's Backbone nails it the the closest. Anything else? Yeah. Nope. That's that's my okay. Reason. I think I just a few wrote, more wrote down a couple others. A couple of movies that I have on here are just sort of like an honorable mention, but they're not really ghosts. Uh, Paranormal Activity, not a ghost. Demon, <laughs> scary fucking movie. Demons, mm -hmm. not a ghost. Um, let's see here. Uh, the Innocence, kind of a ghost, but for me, it's so allegorical about like uh, 
trauma and like what kids deal with that they don't understand mm. that for me the ghosts feel kind of incidental to it yeah. but the innocence is a really really scary movie it's a great motion oh, picture I haven't seen the innocence. oh wow it's yeah, so there's good a lot of these i haven't seen okay uh let's see what i got here carnival souls is on my runners up here the sixth sense is so good it's easy to take it for granted i think yeah, it's almost a cliche at this point but it's yeah. really fucking good and at least there's an honorable mention mm-hmm. on here uh ghostbusters i, I left it off because you don't need to know to hear it to talk about it but ghostbusters is really fucking good there, I said it. You're you happy? We're good? All right, moving on. Sir Vecos is on here. The Canterville Ghost is really wonderful with Charles Lawton as a cowardly ghost who has to do something heroic or he'll never find peace. <laughs> very, very sweet, funny film. Uh, the 1940s film, The Uninvited, uh, which is one of the first, like, kind of seance kind of horror movies uh, of its ilk. Um mm. It's really good. Uh, I don't love it the way other people do, but it's excellent and definitely should be seen. Um, let's see what we got here. The Others is super spooky. Uh, um, others is okay. I like it. Uh, a really underrated uh, Korean horror film, Into the Mirror, which was made into the very bad American remake, Mirrors. Uh, but the original one about a haunted department store is genuinely smart and unnerving, and I like it a lot. Uh, 14 Away is a very clever uh, haunting movie. Uh, 13 Ghosts is on the mm-hmm. mentions, great motion picture. Um, let's see your ghost as well. The Frighteners as well. Not a great movie, but I want to raise awareness of it. Uh, the 1980s movie trick or treat about the ghost of a Satan worshiping heavy metal band, uh, or heavy metal star who like is unearthed by playing his record backwards and is going to like take over the town on Halloween. This one has Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne, right? Yeah. Gene Simmons, Ozzy Osbourne plays a priest who's like anti heavy metal and Gene Simmons, I think plays a DJ. Um, there are more heavy metal horror movies than you might think. There's a lot one. This one and Black Roses. Those are the two best ones, if you ask me. They're really cool. But no, uh, what? Not Rock and Roll Nightmare. Rock and Roll Nightmare. Rock and Roll Nightmare is fun. Uh, I would hesitate to call it good. I would call Black Roses and Trick or Treat pretty darn good. Right. All right. Um, Even Black Roses isn't that great, but yeah. it's it's they're they're all enjoyable. Uh, I really like the the. First off, Ouija sucks. Ouija is a bad movie. Mm. Ouija Origin of Evil is really creepy. That's a good one. I think it flies off the rails a bit right at the end, but until then, it's really, really solid. But to my money, the best Ouija board horror movie is still Witchboard. Witchboard, yeah, for Witchboard sure. Witchboard is really fun, and it doesn't get talked about enough because it's not like quite mm. scary enough to be a classic. It's not quite funny enough to be a slumber party movie, but it's a really good like tweener. Like it's right mm. in the middle. Of like fun, jump out of your seat, not really that scary, but actually kind of scary sometimes movie. And if you're looking for a movie that doesn't get t- that you you haven't seen to death, mm. and you haven't seen Witchboard, great Halloween watch, really yeah. fun movie. I think you'll like it a lot. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's what I got. That's what I got. All right. Um, so thank you everybody for listening to this. Uh, our favorite uh, ghost movies. These are the ones we think are the best. And also a bunch uh, of writers that. About translucent wraiths. There's one right behind you right now. Hi. Think of the death in the place where you are. Okay. I was really tempted to put Hamlet on my list, but I know that's a cheat. That's a cheat. Go- ghost of Hamlet. So it's got a ghost. That's in there for a minute. That doesn't count. What do you mean a minute? It's got a whole, it's got a whole speech. Yeah. Porches of my ears. You can cut it out. The leprous distillment. All right. All right. All right. No, that's not true. Um, but you could, you could cut the ghost out, and Hamlet would be. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> if Ham, like, because in the scene where he meets his father, he runs out ahead of of Horatio and, yeah. and like Marcellus, whatever the other character was. <laughs> 
Wouldn't it be great if like Horatio and Marcellus, Jack, lo- Jack, yeah, Jack <laughs> Lemon in the Brano version, like just lost Hamlet and we don't get to see the interaction with the ghost at all. It just comes, comes out as like, I saw the ghost of my father. Right, Hamlet. Look, <laughs> let's go back in, have another drink. No, no, I have to kill my uncle. Okay, we're going to call the cops pretty soon. <laughs> You've heard of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Mm-hmm. This is Horatio and Marcellus are skeptical. <laughs> <laughs> should really should look up that guy's actual name. Anyway, that's, that'd be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so that's that's the Iron List for this month. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you to all of our patrons, without whom we wouldn't be here. Uh, you voted for this one. Good pick. Fun films. I got to talk a lot of films I don't get to discuss very often. Um, and uh, next month we'll do another one. We'll put up a poll uh, within the next week. Uh, in which we p- present to you another four ideas for a mm. big giant best of list that Whitney and I will present to you at some mm. point in the month of November. Uh, as always, you can email us letters at criticallyacclaimed.net if you want to take issue with our picks or tell us a movie we missed or other things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. If you want to vote for future Iron Lists and for other future episodes of our various podcasts and get a whole bunch of exclusive content as well, you can go to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We got a ton of it there. It's right there. Mm-hmm. All for you. And um, It's all for you, Damien. It's, it's all, all for, for you. you. And um, hey, I guess that's it. Bye! <laughs> Cloche moves over to goodbye.